Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Hey, I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, a lot of people, of course, uh, have had life-changing events, uh, some Thursday, some Friday, the vast majority today. That is, of course, back to school and primary schools back in force this morning, for sure. And Luke O'Neill, the professor, Luke O'Neill, makes the front of... Uh, well, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's, I think it's the mirror this morning. He says that uh, primary school kids should be wearing masks. Now, as we know, um, secondary schools wear masks. That's the deal, isn't it? It's masks in secondary schools, not in primary. But he's coming out now saying that primary schools as well should be wearing masks. Front page tabloid headline, put masks on all school kids. Um, and of course, we'll have to watch now and see what happens in the coming weeks where they're saying don't send your kids to schools if they have sniffles or coughs or runny noses and stuff like that. Oh, it's going to be tough on parents now across the month of September and October, that's for sure. A chaotic scenes apparently in Dublin Airport over the weekend with lengthy queues, meaning many passengers missed their flights. And a lot of people were saying that the reason for it, of course, was that they just didn't have enough of the security lanes open. Uh, at some stage, there was only two. I don't know how many they have in total, but I'm quite sure they have a lot more than two. So chaos with regards to people trying to get out and many people miss their flights. According to The Independent then, two air passengers every hour are being refused travel due to COVID document issues. It's two an hour are being refused, refused boarding to Irish aircrafts. So on top of that, of course, and that's to do with their documentation. On the top of that, of course, you got many, many people who are missing flights and missing holidays because they can't get their passport. They may be applying for a new one. They might be trying to renew one or they might have lost one. But if you ever wondered about the figure, how many people actually went into hotel isolation when they came into Ireland? The figure has passed 10,000 in hotel quarantine. Um, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador and Peru. Uh, Those are the kind of countries that were staying in quarantine in big numbers. You know, the 10-day quarantine, it's down now and continues to drop now. Um, And uh, the papers also this morning remind us of the amount of people who are in ICU and indeed testing positive. But fair play to Billy Kelleher. He wants a new bank holiday created at the back end of September, apparently, to boost tourism and hospitality. I don't know what. I don't know what employers will feel about it, but I think many people would give that one the thumbs up. Uh, any extra day would be a welcome one. So that's what uh, Billy Keller is talking about this morning. Have you ever had a scenario where somebody claimed against you and you knew that it was bogus, or you knew that they were inflating it, or you knew there wasn't an injury? Uh, or you knew they were taking the Michael and there was nothing you could do about it because your insurance company just settled and felt it was just cheaper to settle. They say that it's cheaper to settle for 15 or 20 grand because you'd be running up those kind of legal costs anyway in court. Front page of the Indo says that insurance policyholders who suspect they are victims of a fraudulent claim will be able to bypass their insurer and report their suspicions directly to the guardie. They are creating a new centralised guardie unit to tackle bogus claims. I'd say anybody uh, who has any kind of an insurance policy that they pay every year would be very much in favour of that. Like, for instance, if it was a set-up rear-ender or a set-up on a, you know, a set-up crash on a roundabout, those kind of things. I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I bet you there are people listening to me this morning who feel that they themselves have been victims of, you know, you know, they... 
there is such a thing as whiplash, but my God almighty, hasn't whiplash been abused as a cause of injury for many, many years now when it comes to uh, uh, motor car accidents and what have you. Lots of conversation will happen today with regards to live music and theatre. They figure it could come back within the next two weeks. I read in a paper this morning that we are going to have our first gay, we're going to have our first nightclub uh, opening uh, in the next week or so. It will be one of the pilot ones they're going to put people into the nightclub they're all going to be vaccinated and they're going to see how it goes you know they did a lot of that already uh, and indeed much of it in the UK so the easing of restrictions on live music and gigs and theatres could happen within the next two weeks under proposals being discussed by ministers today Uh, and this is important because the mail says that if they don't sort this what's going to happen next is that musicians will move from pop to job seekers so they'll see a fairly hefty decrease in the amount of money that they've been given to support themselves over the past year and a half. So musicians are seeking the Taoiseach's support now as they face a cut to their pop and a move to job seekers allowance instead. And that's why there's a crunch meeting being held today because 18 months since many of them gigged or stood on a stage. At the same time, of course, you had many, many thousands of people at the hurling final in Croke Park last weekend. So... Minister Martin herself uh, has been front and centre in this and she says that musicians have waited long enough. She said, I want to see them getting back performing and do what they do best and start earning a living again. Yesterday's positive case is 1,700 uh, with uh, 60 people in, 60 patients in intensive care. Interestingly, that number is down. If you're if you're looking at trying to buy a house, a couple of good examples of the uh, kind of money that properties are fetching on lee side these days. I may well come back to this later this morning over the next couple of days. But one of them is on Vickers Street uh, in Cork City. And good luck if you can get that kind of money. And maybe people will be bidding and outbidding each other. But it's a one bed, one bed, one bath terrace house. It's very, very small. Uh, but it's gone on the market for a hundred and seventy five thousand euro for a one bed one bath meanwhile down in black rock in the old ursuline convent which is a beautiful georgian mansion i think it was built in the 1700s for a merchant prince way back in the day and in the ursuline order of nuns that had it for years it's apartment blocks now well it's an apartment building it's a beautiful building and this is a one bed one bath it's um 68 square meters so it's tidy enough Um, But it's gone on the market now, a one-bed, one-bath, for 300,000. And I wonder will people be bidding and outbidding each other on that one. But the entrance into your home there is just, I mean, and also Blackrock Village, beautiful place to live. 300 grand for one-bed, one-bath. Many other stories in the papers today. You know, I like to cover stuff that goes on sale and reaches ridiculous amounts of money. I was reading at the weekend that the gun used to kill Billy the Kid in 1881 was going up for auction. It's a Colt single-action revolver. Uh, and if you're interested in stories like that, it's the gun that Sheriff Pat Garrett used to gun down Billy the Kid. Um, and they thought that it would make good money, but not double what they had hoped. 5.1 million euro. The gun that killed Billy the Kid. It was a telephone bid, apparently, sold to a telephone bidder uh, in Los Angeles. I wonder if I wonder, I wonder if it would still shoot, though. Imagine with a bit of work and TLC, perhaps it would do. But the gun that shot Billy the Kid, selling for 5 million euro. And if you watch The Chase, which is a super, super show, and you watch the different brainy boxes and know-it-alls, you might know Anne Hagerty, uh, a.k.a. The Governess. Um, she apparently is searching for her Irish roots. And it's great to be able to claim her.
because her ancestors are from Cork. Uh, so um, maybe, you never know, at some stage in the not-too-distant future, she might be over here in Cork, trying to find exactly where in Cork her roots are from. So that's a lovely story, I think. Ed Asner, the uh, actor best known for Lou Grant in the Mary Tyler Moore show and his own spin-off show, and lots of damn good movies as well. He died over the weekend at the age of 91. That was a heavy-hitting show when he um, broke away from the um, Mary Tyler Moore show and did his own TV series. It was fairly, fairly heavy-hitting, you know, when he kind of... It was like a spin-off. It was called Lou Grant. Maybe you watched it. He was the newspaper editor back in the time. And if, if you think things couldn't get any crazier, then check this one out. The Mirror reporting that a wedding guest received a no-show bill from the bride after they missed her big day. Uh, she was billed uh, $240 for the two seats that were left vacant at the wedding reception. Um, the invoice um, had a little note on it saying, this invoice is being sent to you because you confirmed seats at the wedding reception during the final headcount. Heaven weddings got very, very clinical altogether. The amount is the above is the cost of your individual seats because you didn't call or give us proper notice that you wouldn't be in attendance. This amount is that you owe us for paying for your seats in advance. You can pay me by PayPal. <laughs> I mean, I thought the people that you invite to weddings are supposed to be friends. <laughs> the end of one friendship. Anyway, you can be sure of that. And also, congratulations. 10 out of 10. Well done. A cracking All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship semi-final eventually went the way of Cork reading from this morning's examiner, when the captain, Linda Collins, shot the winning point three minutes into stoppage time. It was heart attack stuff. And, of course, they beat Kilkenny and will take on Galway on Sunday week in the final. It'll be Cork's first final in three years. So well done to them. So the Rebels on Lee side. This time the ladies did the business. Uh, 15 points to Cork, a goal, and 11 points to Kilkenny. Well done. The Neil Prenderville Show. Let's text 0868104106. I just want to mention this story, and we'll come back to it over the next couple of days because it is a, an inquest to, an inquest into two deaths. And I refer to the death of uh, 36-year-old Marie Downey and her tiny little infant son, Dara, who died at the CUMH in May of 2019. Many people were very, very sad and hearts were broken when we heard the story or what we know of what happened in her room at the CUMH back in 2019. Now, the coroner has set aside two days now uh, to hear all of the details and uh, go through all of the witnesses and hear the medical evidence of what happened that led to the tragic death of Marie and Dara Downey. It starts this morning. And just ahead of that, uh, I won't spend much time on it, but just to remind us of what we know of what happened and indeed what's possibly going to happen over the next couple of days. Jamie O'Hara from the Red FM Newsroom, Red FM's uh, news reporter. Jamie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks so much. And, and I know that it's difficult because, of course, uh, we need to hear what happened in an inquest setting. Mm-hmm. But what, what do we know of what happened um, on that time? Because uh, I, I know that, unfortunately, Marie had epilepsy and, and people think she may have had a seizure. So what can you tell us? 
So what I can tell you is that uh, Marie Downey was found on the 25th of May at CUMH, um, and unfortunately she was she had she had died. Her son was found underneath her, Dara, who was four days old. Um, he was he was taken into care uh, that day in the hospital. However, unfortunately, he passed away the the next day. Unfortunately, now one theory that you mentioned is Marie was understood to have had epilepsy, and the theory is that that's what led to a tragic death that she might have suffered a seizure um, in her hospital bed, causing her to to fall out and uh, to land on top of the sun. And um, the postmortem results haven't been made public, so that's what we're expecting to hear over the next two days. And following the uh, following the incident, two reviews also took place into the death of uh, Marie and Dara. One by the South South West Hospital Group, and another independent review by the Department of Health. And we're expecting to hear the recommendations of those reviews over the next few days to do with patient care, communication, the history of the patient. Um, and, and the like. And also, I think part of that review looked into whether they needed any new protocols in relation to, say, the care of pregnant women with a history of epilepsy, right? Yes, absolutely. And as far as I know, one of the recommendations was that an advanced nurse practitioner or a specialist with uh, experience in epilepsy would be uh, working in maternity hospitals uh, throughout the country, not just in CUMH, but all over Ireland. And I think I may have read somewhere where they were saying that at the time of this awful tragedy, three nurses were caring for 31 patients at the time of, of the death, of, of, of a death in, in the hospital. So again, we're back to, because we've been hearing a lot over the past few days of issues within hospitals in Cork, where a lot of it has to do with staffing levels and not having enough. And those that are working in hospital settings are overworked. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that's referenced in the inquest as well. Uh, it, was, it was also said that she, she may have been breastfeeding little Dara at the time. Um, that's so, and and I also didn't I also read uh, that um, mother and baby were were buried together, and she was buried with that's Dara right. in her arms. Yeah, in her arms, yeah, very tragic. Yeah, and the the rest of the family, uh, we know that she had other kids as well, and uh, yeah, her husband two Kieran, sons, two sons, Sean and James, and her husband Kieran. She was originally from Limerick. She was living in Kildallery in North Cork and working in Novartis. Um, there's been there's we have people here today. There's journalists working remotely because of COVID. There's spillover court and there's journalists in the actual court itself. There's plenty of interest in this and I'll have more detail as the day unfolds Good and man. into tomorrow as well. Right. Thank you for that. Uh, I'll let you get on. Appreciate you taking the call. Thanks, Neil. Uh, Jamie O'Hara, um, as, as well as everything else, of course, there will be a number of medical witnesses, including those at the CUMH who were involved in her care. Uh, at the time. It's just absolutely tragic, Marie and Dara. Lines open at one 850 You can text 0868-104-106. We'll pick it up after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Bencho, lines are open at one 850 uh, You can text 0868-104-106. Perhaps you've watched either of the documentaries on the unsolved murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier, one on Netflix and the other on Sky Crime. Uh, of course, before that, we had the uh, very powerful uh, West Cork podcast. Um, that, to, uh, to be honest, uh, there's an awful lot of interest again um, in the unsolved death of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. And a lot of it has to do with a completely new generation of people who were very, very young and some not even born when it happened 25 years ago down in West Cork. Um, and of course, now with social media and also 
added to the fact that uh, Ian Bailey himself is now on social media and on Twitter and is very busy in that area. The story seems to be gathering a lot of momentum. And I know the Gardaí are now interviewing uh, new people are coming forward with new information. We, we heard over the past few weeks of a, a statement given to the Gardaí by an elderly man who spoke of uh, another person confessing to him that uh, that, that person helped uh, clean blood following um, the death of uh, Sophie Toscan de Plantier. Um, and so the Gardaí are, you know, investigating and continuing to do so. But the French, as the fellow says, have not gone away. And of course, um, Emmanuel, Macron, Emmanuel Macron was in Ireland last week and in Dublin um, and referenced during an interview with the press a new trial that uh, Ian Bailey should not be afraid to attend back in France. And then I heard on Friday in the in the news reports that uh, Ian Bailey's solicitor, Frank Bottomer, was commenting with regards to that new trial. And he's, he's saying things along the lines of uh, that, you know, Ian Bailey won't be going. But just to pick up on that conversation, I'm joined by Frank Bottomer. Frank, good morning. Good morning, Neil. If the French, if the French have had their trial, why do they? What's your interpretation as to why they want another one? It's their system of, well, let's call it justice for the moment, Neil, in France, where if you're tried in absentia, in other words, where you don't turn up, the case can go ahead, and they then have this curious provision in their law which allows somebody who is then either uh, returning on a voluntary basis to deal with the matter or arrested on foot of a warrant and brought back the um, the condemned person, as they call them, uh, has a right to seek uh, a, a, a further hearing of the case. It's most bizarre, but it's got to do with um, being tried in absentia. That's what that means. And they have invited him... Um to go for this trial then? Yes. <laughs> well, they've been trying might and main to get him out since 2008, which is, by the way, 13 years ago when they started off this process of, you know, initiating a kind of a, a French criminal investigation. They sought his removal by him being arrested in 2010. Uh, as you know, Neil, the Supreme Court rejected that removal as being an unlawful process in 2012. What they then did was that in order to seek his removal again, they corrected what they considered to be some of the errors in relation to the initial unlawful application. So they came again in 2017, although I would have thought that the Irish Supreme Court decision was a complete roadblock at that stage to any removal, but so be it. They came back in 17, having corrected their errors, as they thought. They go off to the High Court, he's arrested again. And as you know, the High Court said that that uh, second application was an abuse of process by the French and rejected that removal request. And then they go ahead and have a trial without him anyway, as if they... Couldn't have done that all along, by the way, because it seems that that's totally illogical. I mean, if, you, if you're looking for somebody to be dragged out and then you can do them in their absence anyway, what was all that about? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they do him in his absence. They come back in 19 and again, they're told, sorry, you can't have him. Throughout all of that, by the way, they never sought to engage with him. They never invited him to do anything. But rather interestingly, actually, Ian Bailey, way, way back in the midst of time, because he did have some knowledge in relation to his journalistic pursuits, etc., uh, wrote to the French uh, uh, embassy in Ireland 
to invite them to engage with him. I mean, the way, way back in the midst of time, that people obviously forget the details of these things, that didn't even meet with a reply. So they go off and they find him guilty in 2019. They say, you know, the trial will be, if he comes back sort of voluntarily, they look after him very well, I'm sure, as a condemned person. So like the whole thing is just, you know, it's for people to try to follow it, it's almost unimaginable. But anyway, there you are. Yeah. So, and, and again, with regards to the Supreme Court in Ireland and the High Court saying that he couldn't be extradited, um, it, that's your own, that's his saving grace, really, because the Irish government actually were representing the French, weren't they? They, the Irish government wanted him yeah. sent, didn't they? No, the Irish government, well, it's actually the Minister for Justice or the Department of Justice is technically the agent of the foreign requesting authority. It isn't a question, Neil, that they wanted something to happen. Although I must say to you, they put their shoulder to the wheel to get him out in 2010. They saw that he would be put into custody. They refused his right to appeal to the to the Supreme Court when he was uh, deemed by the High Court judge to be entitled to be extradited. So right back then, they were really going at him. Laterally, however, in 2017 and 2019, uh, acting as agent, which they have a legal obligation to do, they did not uh, appeal. So the Department of said, yeah, the, the Minister for Justice ergo the government has accepted the, thanks be to goodness, uh, for, for us as a democracy and a functioning, you know, country with a, with a justice system. They decided, uh, rightly, to respect the decision of the Supreme Court and they did not seek an entitlement to appeal. It's, it's, an, it's an obligatory thing. If we, if we looked for some, you know, uh, French national or some such person to be removed from France to face a trial in Ireland in proper circumstances, there's a reciprocal arrangement between countries under the European Arrest Warrant System, which creates an, an obligation, in effect, to make the application as long as the paperwork and the processes are essentially correct. And then it's a matter for the yeah. court to determine what's to be done. So it, it's a function more than a than a desire, if you understand me. Yeah, yeah. But will will we ever reach a point where where I mean, would, would it ever suit to have a trial, a full trial, where everything was heard and all of the evidence and all of the whatever forensics were there and all of the witnesses have a proper say, and you could put on proper representation and defence? Where might this all occur? France. Absolutely not. Again, I, I don't want to bore your listeners to death with the technicalities of these things, but I can give you a detailed, comprehensive explanation as to why that would be a Frankenstein monster of a trial, uh, if you want, but I don't want to take up your time. You're, you're yeah, saying that it would be a fait accompli regardless of how well you yes, wanted to conduct absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's all, I, I've long since predetermined, and proof of the pudding, I mean, back in, I think it's about 2017, when we kind of had a fair idea that the French were going to go at him after their second extradition attempt failed, I was asked something about the, the case and I just said, you know, forget about any idea that he would receive any form of fair hearing in France, which of course proved to be the case. Uh, no, it's, it's a non-runner. By the way, Ian Bailey constantly uh, said, prosecute me in uh, in Ireland, you know, of course, which is the venue of the, of, of the offence where all the witnesses are, the evidence is our standard of criminal trial is, et cetera, et cetera. But sure, of course, that never could have happened because, I mean, let's get real here. As far back as uh, 1996, believe it or believe it not, 1996, on a phone call from Pendon Police Station to the office of the DPP, the DPP said there isn't enough evidence. Yeah. 
that position was repeated in 1990. There's no evidence of that. Yeah. I mean, let's get again real. So, so you're saying that Ian Bailey would have been happy with the criminal trial and would have been happy if, if the DPP had decided to go ahead with it? Absolutely. Long, long since. And it wouldn't have got to a jury. A judge would have withdrawn the case from the jury. Whereas the, French no use, yeah, whereas the French use the alleged confessions, which, of course, your side de- and Ian Bailey deems to be black humour, and the French used Maria Bailey's first testimony, and the French used the scratches on the hands and, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. I see, like, the, the point about that, not to get too technical, those so-called items of evidence are all things which would have been properly challenged before a jury and demolished, by the way, in Ireland where we have a, a filtration system, which is the criminal trial. In France, there is no filtration system once the case gets to trial. The filtration in France occurs at the very, very beginning of any criminal investigation where there is judicial oversight constantly from the word go of the police in relation to their conduct of their criminal investigations. That's where their filtration occurs. That's where the thing happens whereby evidence is deemed to be considered to, to, to be admissible or not. And all of that process happens over there at the earliest stages. That process happens here, ultimately, in a criminal trial. Once you get to a criminal trial stage in France, you don't have the filtration that you have uh, uh, to protect yourself. Yeah. So what you had over there was all this rubbish that was so-called evidence being allowed to go in before the uh, French, I think, three-judge court with, I think, some mock-up jury or whatever it was. And they're taking this as if it was chapter and verse. Oh, he confessed this, and oh, he was seen on Kale Bridge by, by the recanting, you know, Marie Farrell said, we're, we're satisfied to allow in her first statement because we say that that's the truthful position, leaving aside the retractions and the reason for yep. the retractions and all that. You know, they took in hearsay evidence, they took in Malachi's mother instead of Malachi himself, you know, who never darkened the door, I can assure you. We'd love to meet him sometime. Yeah. But like, you know, it's all nonsense. Do, do, are you, no protection of the time. Are you, are you in a position at all to comment on, say, for instance, something that I alluded to there, this elderly gentleman and, and the Red Tops is saying that, it, that the person that whom he met who said that they had helped to clean blood, I think chlorine was used or something, was Jules. No, because they're matters for the Irish police, and okay. rightly so. Okay. No, I'm not, actually. I, I mean, to be honest with you, it's a, it's a while since I've even had to have any, you know, in-depth analysis-type dealings with Ian Bailey's case. I would certainly say that my, my, my overarching comment, however, is that here's some idea that Ian Bailey should sort of voluntarily agree to transfer himself off out to France to face a criminal trial in circumstances where he might be having his old criminal trial out there and meanwhile back in the ranch the Irish police are continuing to investigate the crime I mean you yourself described this as an unsolved murder in your introduction yes and, 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 and it, it is and indeed can I also say that the claim the claim regarding this this latest statement to Gardy has um, been described as false by both Ian Bailey and in Judith Thomas there was also the, the, the case of Ariana Borina, the, the girl who oh, stayed in the, the girl, let me just say she I stayed know, in the prairie in Christmas prairie. 96 and saw dark clothing soaking in a bath that's a falsehood ok ok as simple as ok um, whatever, whatever her imagination is or whatever it is that did not happen you know one I know I know about that stuff that did not happen uh, you know I can comment about Netflix as well if you want yeah did you well I was going to yeah I was going to reference did you watch both 
Yes. Okay, would you, and one was rather sympathetic, the Sky one, but one was rather unsympathetic, the Netflix one. Um, you featured yeah, they, they in both. Things, uh, I mean, you know, I, mean I, I, I didn't uh, agree to cooperate with the, with the Netflix process, shall we say, for reasons that are now rather obvious. Uh, but I, I did think that Jim Sheridan's production was very much more personal. It gave a much more... And by the way... What, what reasons are obvious obvious regarding Netflix in the sense that it was not complimentary, is I'll it? I'll tell you exactly. The re- no, no, because Jim Sheridan had expressed an interest in the matter long, long prior to Netflix coming in and becoming involved. Jim Sheridan has had... Uh, 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 he's been observing this case, I think, since about 2016-17, initially kind of on a human interest level. I think he'd been familiar with it for some time. And he clearly indicated that he wanted to do something in relation to it at a very, very early stage. I mean, it's a matter of honour and just because he's an iconic individual whose you know, credentials are fantastic, myself and Ian decided that we would cooperate as much as we could with Jim Sheridan's production. Netflix, to be fair, came in around, I think it was about 2019, having heard the podcast, I believe, and said, oh, that's an interesting story. And they started getting into it. So they were kind of like running in parallel twin track. And I thought that as a matter of, you know, proper behavior, one ought to remain with the original party who was interested. Mm-hmm. That was the simple answer to that. But I did think that it might be, you know, your assessment of the way in which the approach was taken by each of them is, as it, as it transpires, ultimately correct anyway, you know. Um, I would have, without getting into detail, a lot of the stuff in the Netflix production was either inaccurate or you know, not, not, not objective. You know, on, on the weekend, there's a late, late show at which I think, um, Sophie's family will be, um, invited over. It's the 25th anniversary of this unsolved crime. Um, probably Pierre Louis, um, Ian Bailey has said that, uh, he will lodge a complaint to the broadcast authority if he's not allowed on the panel. Um, have you had a conversation with him about that? Yes. And, uh, are you recommending he should attend? No, under no circumstances. And I, I mean, I think it's, yeah. Ian, yeah, well, of course, can, can you imagine trying to live his life? But anyway, yeah. I think when he heard about this invitation at the outset, I think he got all excited about what might be said and what might not be said, maybe overly sensitively in that sense. I mean, one has to bear in mind that though the French family have this, in many ways, irrational belief that Ian committed the offence, that that family is a victim. You know, let's get let's let's recognise that, and the idea that the late late show could be told who to have on their program, or that there's some kind of a right to reply, or that there's something objectionable about what that man wants to say. I wouldn't buy into that. Why not? If he has nothing to hide, he he himself says that he wants to be there. Oh no, sorry. I, I have nothing. I, what I mean to say, in, in case you misunderstood me, is I have absolutely no 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 whether does, does he invariably have any issue with anything that, that that unfortunate man might want to say, you know, and then for, for, for the late, late to become a debating chamber, you know, you couldn't countenance the idea that the son of a murdered woman in such grotesque circumstances should have to debate with the person whom he believes to be the offender or that the offender should likewise debate with the son of the victim. I mean, but I, they're going to say at the weekend that Ian Bailey was found guilty of a murder in a French court. He says he wants to be there to refute that. You better talk to him, so in that case, because I, I'm not getting into that stuff. But I, you, I'm, I'm giving you my view. 
I think it would be obscene. Simple as that. I think of the idea that, that the two people would have a face-off in any circumstance. That's my view now. Would be just stuff of car crash dimensions. An uncle of Sophie Tuscan Plante is urging Bailey not to be afraid of a new trial in France if he's really innocent. The uncle says he's calling on Ian Bailey to prove his innocence in the new trial in France. You, you're aware of that latest update. The family now are also no, encouraging. No, yeah. no, and that's typical. I mean, I know who the uncle are. I've read about him from time to time. We have this, first of all, he's a condemned person who's been invited to come over to, come over to France uh, to get a fair trial to prove his innocence. We have a mirror image situation here where you're presumed innocent. Ian Bailey's innocent, by the way. So over there, he's guilty. Now he has to take on this battle war to prove his innocence. I mean, I could also get into the, you know, Neil, over in France, what they don't allow you to, to do to defend yourself in criminal trials, just without getting technical about it again. And, you know, like we, it's all very regrettable that we have... Uh, you know, very good relations with France. It's a very friendly country in the scheme of things. But in the, in, in terms of justice systems, I think we should uh, have trust in our own. It's, 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 a, it's a tried and tested. Uh, they've had a lot of problems over there, Neil, believe me. You don't have the things over there that we, we have here uh, in circumstances of this kind. Leave aside all the other matters I raised earlier on. Um, where is this going to end up, do you think? 25 years on now. Um, Ian Bailey isn't getting any, any younger. Um, no. What, what, what's Well, he's going to carry it to the grave, unfortunately, as we all are at the last one. How long are you doing this case yourself, even? Since 1996. Uh, 25 years, I just say that. I think that the next potential battleground was hinted at by the President of France, where he erroneously said, by the way, uh, that... Um, the Irish and French courts have this kind of window of opportunity to sort things out. Now, I think he was on the hoof on the, on the question. I don't think he came over with this as an agenda item. But he's absolutely familiar with the case, as you could see, you know, because he was able to answer, answer the question off the cuff. He erroneously, however, said that the Irish courts had a role in this matter. The Irish courts' role in this matter is at an end. The Supreme Court, backed up by two following high courts. So what is he saying? Is he saying that he's hoping the Supreme Court will reverse their decision not to send him? No, no, no. He's erroneous in that. That's what I'm saying. And when he maybe realized that he was in error about that. Because the Irish courts are finished with this case. What I think he's really saying is, uh, leave aside his error. And that is understandable. He's, I think, saying we might be off to the European Court. That's France versus Ireland. Because you guys, through your court system are not recognising what we have done in France. Therefore, uh, let's see, we'll see you in a bigger, in, on, on a bigger stage, perhaps. Of course, the, the difficulty with that is we have this little old, you know, Irish common law system, which is the only outstanding, you know, system of justice under the common law in the European, in the European community, European Union, and um, all the other crowd have a, a different setup. And we got a very, very big, big beast there in the Republic of France versus ourselves. So you just wonder how the thing might meander along over there. That's a, 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 a distinct possibility to which the Irish state would have to apply its mind because Ian Bailey will then just be a kind of a side show. It's, just, it, it's a case that happens to be about Bailey, but the contest now is possibly France v. Ireland, where Ireland will have to go over to the European court, possibly, and stand up for what it has done 
And by the way, like, what a known goal this has been from day one. The French prosecution only could occur because we voluntarily decided to give the French our police file way back in 2008. That was an option that we exercised. We didn't have to give that file to the French. We gave it to them. And this is now the natural consequence of this whole disaster. Would, We've done this to ourselves. Yeah. Would would all of this have been resolved much, much sooner? I'm just thinking, it may sound bizarre, if both the French side and the Irish side, as in you and, and your team and the French team, came together and um, Ian Bailey could have been ruled out with a lie detector test. To the extent that lie detector tests are regarded as being, you know, an acceptable form of investigation tool, I don't think they are. They're certainly not recognised as being evidentially reliable. Okay. But, like, you know, I, I, I repeat, Ian Bailey voluntarily wrote to the French Embassy so far back that I can't remember when to say, I have some information or I'm available to meet you or whatever the case might be. First time I met the French investigation team, which I did, by the way, it was when they came into my office in, uh, I think it was about 2010 or 11 or something, to interview Jules Thomas. And I sat there with them for hours and hours. And they crowded all over from France, detectives and everything, two Irish police, translators. And they're interviewing Jules Thomas, and she decided to be agreeable to, to interview because we all knew what was going to happen in France, sort of eventually or potentially, because at that stage the High Court had ordered him to be extradited. So I'm sitting there with all these people in the office for, I must say, about five or six hours. And Jules was telling them all this stuff about why they're wrong about this and why they're wrong about that. I had absolutely no interest in it. None whatsoever. I don't think they even introduced whatever she had said into the trial in France. So like, I was looking at this carry-on being translated from French into English. I have the Kubler Fock of the French myself, which they might have known at the time. And I'm saying, like, what is this absolute whitewash exercise yeah. all about? Yeah. So, like, the engagement is... It's, it's, it's pointless. So will it be, it's just pointless. finally then, will it be the Irish Guard mm-hmm. investigation that could move this on? These new statements, the new Absolutely. witnesses that are coming forward? Absolutely. Yeah. And are you, are you prepared for the Guardi to come again and send another file to the DPP? I wish they would. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's a crime that remains to be solved. But, of course, the whole point is, let's say that the light was cast upon some French national, let's say, and we had to go off over. Because let's say we had a genuine situation where there was a genuine French suspect. Let's say now, do you think that we'd get the mutual assistance or cooperation from them that we willingly gave them back in 2008 and afterwards? I don't know. Absolutely not. Oh, you could take it to the bank, Neil. They wouldn't, because they'd reply by saying... Uh, well, no, sorry, we, we have a guilty man over here. How unjust would that be? So it's to the Irish investigation that we should be concentrating more of our time. New statements, as I say, people that perhaps are coming yeah, forward absolutely. after the two documentaries, and you would welcome yeah. all of that? I wish I wish it would happen. Okay, okay. Like as, as a citizen, I mean, I, I, I said it to the newspaper the weekend, this is a stain on our, you know, on our, on our, on our national you know, character. Not that any Irish person or any Irish resident necessarily committed it, but just the way it evolved, the failure to address it properly, the failure of policing. You know, all those things are absolutely, I think Neil Martin said it as well without it in any way pointing the finger at Ian Bailey. He said the same thing, like it's, it's, it's a stain in our, our, our situation. Did he? I, I don't recall like, as to whether he, when he referenced and, you know, Sympathised mm-hmm. with uh, the the Plantier family. Did he? Did he? Did he refer to Ian Bailey at all last week, or say oh, no, that he no, was no, also no, a victim? 
Absolutely not. No. He made reference to the event, not to anything on, 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 on the invader side, just that it's a stain that remains there. It's a terribly, terribly bad uh, state of affairs you know, between our two countries, but we got, we got to stand up for ourselves. And I've said repeatedly, because a thing happened doesn't mean that Ian Bailey is the scapegoat for it. He owes nobody anything. Mm. He's a victim here. Mm. He has been, well, you know the life he's had to lead, Neil, because you've spoken to him many, many times. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay. Frank, thanks for taking the time this morning, as always. Thank appreciate you. it. Much obliged to you, Frank Bottomar, solicitor Bye-bye. for Ian Bailey. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 086-8104-106, and we'll come back to text on that and lots more besides in uh, the next hour or so. Hang in there. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Well done to the Cork Camogie team in the final now, dispatching uh, Kilkenny at the weekend. There was a very funny tweet that Paul Byrne put up on Twitter. Obviously, and he said, I'm calling on Cork City Council to deny our Lord Mayor, Colm Kelleher, all access to pens, paper, and emails until the ladies' camogie final is over. Do not let him get in contact with the Mayor of Galway. <laughs> look, look what happened to the hurlers when he wrote to the Mayor of Limerick. <laughs> the Lord Mayor apparently uh, got back in. Just a bit of fun, and the Lord Mayor even joined into the great reaction on his uh, social media account. Um, I, I, the Lord Mayor got back saying, anyone um, have a stamp? <laughs> Keep that man under lock and key for the next couple of weeks, will you please? Because we don't want to be tempting fate. <laughs> oh my God. But listen, well done to the ladies in the final. Well done. Bring it on. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. What a lot of fun we had uh, on Friday and indeed for part of Thursday as well. The amount of famous people that you guys have met is just amazing. And at one stage on Friday, and I'll be jumping back in on texts on this as well because I didn't get to everything. But at one stage on Friday... I was chatting with a woman just when we were coming off air and she was talking about uh, meeting Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck when he was in Cork, staying in Cork, but filming Moby Dick down in Yall. All right. And uh, if you think I'm finished with Gregory Peck, you have another thing coming. Nicole, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? And is your granddad, Timmy O'Driscoll from the Old Yall yes. Road, was Gregory yes. Peck's chauffeur? Yes, yes. Oh my That's God. the claim to fame. I know. We're very proud. <laughs> and and how, how did that come about? Like, who who did he work for? What kind of a car was he driving? Um, oh, my grandfather um, is deceased or resting since uh, 1997. Yeah. But he would work for O'Connor's back O'Connor's in the day. O'Connor's funeral home. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And there's many of the old generation now who would have known O'Connor's and whatever would remember him fondly. And he was a very quiet and unassuming man. You know, he wasn't a bit boastful or anything. So we just knew that he was Gregory Peck's chauffeur. Now, not every generation of when he was filming Moby Dick, that he'd bring him up and down from you all. Because yeah, he was staying... Yeah. He was staying in the Metropole. Yeah, go ahead. That's right, yeah. No, he was staying in the Metropole. Um, apparently, there is a picture somewhere in Moby Dick's pub of my grandfather kind of near the car, but I've been there several times having a pint and I've yet to find it. Um, I keep looking, though. I keep looking. Ask them behind um, the bar. They'll know where all the <laughs> photographs are. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, so, so O'Connors would have done a lot more than funerals. They also would have used the limos for private chauffeuring and what have you, I guess. Yes, yes, well, and they do, they do weddings as well. So, I mean, I would have heard him from my wedding 21 years ago. There you go. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, did he ever so, chat yeah, to you was, about, you know, Gregory Peck? <laughs> you know, no, I suppose when he died, I was kind of, was it, 21? So, I, you know, I missed the opportunity to ask him, really. But just he just said he was just a very nice man. Just a very nice man and... 
because in those days, I suppose y'all wasn't as straight a road as it is no, now. No, it would so, take a lot longer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but my grandfather loved driving. He drove all parts of the country that, you know, those days, I suppose, cars weren't at everyone's disposal. So he just loved every bit of it. Not yeah. only did he have a car at his disposal, but many didn't have a car. But he had yes. one serious bit of kit as a, yes. a limousine. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 Lovely yes, story. Yeah, Lovely and just on my story. own note there as well, just a couple of years ago, I met Dolores O'Reardon at a family wedding in Limerick and she was just the most lovely and quiet unassuming woman met her at reception and we just had a nice general chat her semi horse that the O'Reardon family are from Cork and you know we got so involved in the conversation she was admiring my dress and we were chatting away yeah. but I never I didn't want to ask her for a photograph because it was such a relaxed conversation and she was so lovely were you surprised so, at how lovely she was yeah because I kind of like I was always loved the cranberries, but I would have thought she was a bit like rock and roll and kind of, you know, wouldn't engage in normal conversation, but she was really so, so lovely. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Can I ask you a question? Somebody's texting me here wondering, did your grandfather have a nickname? Um, was he known as the Dean? God, not to my knowledge. You I want, to go, you my want to go away and check that and find out if it is, because it's just yeah. somebody here saying that they knew your grandfather and he was known ah. as the Dean. It might be something you yeah. want to investigate in the old family tree, and then we can yeah. work out as to why he was known as the Dean. <laughs> right, yeah, very good. And did it come with a, fund, a funding pack or something, or loads of money or something, yeah? I have no idea. I don't know, I don't know. Oh, I very no good, idea. I'll try and find that out. Yeah. All right, that's a bit of research. Off you go, Nicole, yeah. take care. Cheers. All right, bye, just, You too, just on that topic, actually, um, met Colin Farrell in the A&E Christmas Day 20, 2014 in Dublin. Um, boots fulls of toys for the kids he had, going around the wards, chatting to kids and parents. No media, no one would ever have known. Uh, I cooked for Stephen Fry secretly for his 50th birthday party organised by his sister says Rashid Billy Connolly was there Kevin Spacey as well full list of uh, heavy hitting A-lister guests at the end of the meal Stephen Fry came to the kitchen and invited me to join the party he picked up a bottle of cognac on the table filled up the glass to the top and said please be my guest come enjoy the party what an amazing man I had the best evening ever um, there's another lovely one here actually with regards to people that uh, others have met um, including uh, Larry Hagman in Heathrow Airport. He was at the Aer Lingus desk. I found out that he was on the Late Late Show that weekend. Lovely man, got his autograph, such a presence. And of course, he had the big famous Stetson hat on. And two or three more. I met Beckham and Alex Ferguson one summer. Ferguson was a bit abrupt, but Beckham was very polite. Uh, and then there's loads of other ones, including Michael Caine. Just finally, Michael Caine. Met Michael Caine uh, in Dixon's Bond Street in London. Nobody would approach him but me. And his reaction when I approached him was, he said, feck me, he said. I thought no one recognised me. <laughs> Lovely man. Very down to earth. Text 0868104106. Pick it up after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850 104 106. Catch up on some texts and emails. Back to calls then. Thank you. Chap got in touch with me over the weekend saying, I'm sending you this email so you can tell your listeners to expect not one, but maybe four very high level hurricanes this autumn. I've studied world weather for the last 35 years. 
And now with global warming, I can tell you we will have some really intense hurricanes coming our way and some very high snowfalls. The temperature of our planet is now up 1.77 degrees. Thank you for that. Makes for interesting reading. Um, uh, Clearly, we don't want your predictions to come true, but let us see how weather will change as we go through the coming years. A lot of fun on Friday. One of the calls Friday actually to do with Shane McGowan buying for the pub down in the Ivy Leary in early morning house back in the day. And then we were wondering where were the early morning houses and we couldn't list them all. Lovely text here says, Charlie's on Union Quay was an early house. The Riverview on Union Quay, the Ivy Leary, the Raven, the Port Bar, Charlie's, the Welcome Inn, the Haven, uh, the Mutton Lane, Snotty Joe's was the early morning pub on the South Main Street where Ziggy's is now. So thank you to all of you guys who texted those various early morning houses. And I don't know how many of them are left now. Very few, if any at all, I'd say. Are there any left at all now? Be interesting to find that one out. I know that Jim McKeown wrote a beautiful piece of prose on early morning pubs in Cork, and I might get an opportunity to read those out. A lot of other texts on different topics of conversation. One, isn't it amazing that our national media continue to still lead with Afghanistan? I guess all is okay now on the home front. And with regards to the home front, front uh, criticism of me, why don't you use your platform more to highlight the positives of vaccines for a change? We have enough ignorant anti-vaxxers who keep the virus alive and our hospitals overrun. Respect for the scientists, please. Well, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. I know I re- referred to some topics last week with regards to vaccines and indeed ingredients within vaccines. Um, But I try to give both sides as much as I can in an effort to be balanced. You're obviously picking up on that, but forgetting all of the other times that I talk of the benefits of people being vaccinated. You mightn't read this out, Neil, but that's cool if you don't. Uh, But Tony Hulhan needs to go as his crew of headless chickens do, the government. We were told by our spineless leaders that we would be opened up when the old and vulnerable were done. Remember that promise? Then, when, then it was when we had over the majority of the adult population. Done. Now they've moved the goalposts again by wanting nearly everyone over 16 done. This is these guys, you know, just clinging to power as they know we have a spineless government. Plus, what happened to the vaccine being optional? It's a pity the media have also lost their voice of reason. It's gone beyond a complete joke now. We seem to be just so happy in this country just to be sheep. Actually, I don't know whether you know it or not, but in the coming weeks, I was reading over the weekend, in the coming weeks, Neffet will be disbanded. It will be no more. It will be no longer needed. And then I was mentioning uh, last Friday Emmanuel Macron, who brought all traffic to a chaotic standstill in Dublin uh, when he was up there last week because he wanted to walk. That's as much as I said. But listening here in France this morning about Macron, and as much as I'm not a fan, I think a little respect for our French president and our legal system wouldn't go astray. Uh, I would imagine if it was France talking about Ireland like that, you would get offended, says John in the Vines in southwest France. I envy where you are, but I stand over my point. I mean, if he was booked to travel by car, he should have traveled by car rather than discommoding everybody in and around Dublin for a couple of hours last week. It was just a small talking point. You were talking about Georgie Best. My dad was the spit of him in the 1970s with the hair and the beard, you know. My dad's nickname was The Bandit, as he looked like an Arabian bandit. He never met him, uh, but was stopped for autographs by girls on more than one occasion, thinking he was George Best. Or at least they did, while he was living in London. Rather than disappoint people, he would make their day and sign the autographs. 
So the bandit was signing George Best. While working on an oil rig in the 1970s, Neil Armstrong came on board. Uh, he met him, but there were no photos in those days. Boy, your dad really knew them all, didn't he? I myself met Roger Moore and his wife on our way to a flight to Boston. He wasn't too impressed with us saying hello. Where are you off to? He simply replied, home, in that deep voice. Can't come on air, but could you please wish my father, Liam McCarthy, a very happy birthday Wednesday, gone as he and his mum listened to you every single day. Also, while working in HMV, we would often have famous musicians in store. I once helped Christy Moore choose a Radiohead album. <laughs> Says Vicky Cronin. <laughs> love it. I love it. I really didn't Sharon Stone go into HMV once? Was it Sharon Stone? I think she was heading west. A lot of them slip off down West Cork. I think she was picking up a couple of CDs, I think, at the time. Anyway, lines open at one 106 And if we could just put this to rest as to why Bruce Springsteen didn't play the river way back in the day when he did two gigs on Side, There's a reason why Springsteen didn't play the river when he played Cork. Three reasons, really. It was an album tour for Wrecking Ball. So a lot of the concert is taken to playing songs from the new album. Secondly, midway through the concert, Bruce Springsteen has a tradition of taking requests from the, or- from the audience in the form of fan signs. Hold them up. And the main reason no two Bruce, Bruce Springsteen concerts are the same. This is as many of his fans travel from show to show and he doesn't like them hearing the same concert twice. I've been lucky enough to see Springsteen on three occasions, Cork, Dublin and the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Listen, if holy God or his son, Jesus, came down from heaven to try and convince me that there was a good reason why Springsteen wouldn't play the river at all of his gigs. I wouldn't accept their argument. I'm sorry. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. A lot of interesting text coming in now following my conversation with uh, Frank Bottomer. What would the French know about any kind of justice? The Irish government does not want to have the final the trial here because it would expose too much of how inept authorities were, particularly the Gardaí. So two points there, one regarding ourselves and French justice. Uh, please ask Frank Bonomer how much of the taxpayers' money he's made from the Ian Bailey case alone, says Lenny. Uh, none, actually, nothing. Uh, for 25 years, Frank Bonomer has uh, dealt with that case for free, pro bono, no money whatsoever. I don't know whether you're aware of that. I hope that answers your question. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Morning, Neil. This time nine years ago, this is to do with uh, fraudulent fake claims. Nine years ago, uh, a car stopped dead on a roundabout in Killarney. I went into the back of the car. I had my four-year-old in the car who stayed asleep, not feeling any bang. I was also nine weeks pregnant. He screamed at me, got out, was walking perfectly, but as soon as the guardie came, he started limping. He then went on to claim €23,500 for his fake limp. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Wow, I tell you something. Cork people amaze me. Firstly, I gathered from last Friday and Thursday's program that we are all over the world. We love to travel. And when we travel, we love meeting people. And by and large, Cork people are not a, sh- are not a shy race of people when it comes to approaching uh, the famous or celebrities. And the stories just came rolling in. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, lots more that I didn't even get to, including Kevin Costner. Um, but just ahead of that, Maria, good morning. Good morning. Is it Marie or Maria? My apologies. It's, it's, it's Mary. Mary. There's three of them. Okay. So Mary <laughs> met Jackie in Wicklow. I did. 
What were you doing and up was, there and what was Jacqueline Kennedy doing there? My my uncle was the butler for um, Rossborough House and I was on holidays with my cousins up there. And I think it was 1962 when they came over and um, she arrived with her entourage and there was a famous lady designer with her who designed a car coat in Kelly Green colour for her. And we were all lined up on the steps of Rossborough House. Why was Rossborough House? Was it somebody's home? Oh yeah, Rossborough House is, is famous house and um, Sir Alfred Byte owned it. Do you remember the IRA went in? They there robbed and, um, all the paintings. Yeah, locked up my they they tied up my uncle and my cousins at the time. <laughs> yeah, but he was a diamond he was he had diamond mines in South Africa, Sir Alfred Byte, that's how he made his money. So he owned Rossborough House and she was brought out to meet them and she had this famous Dublin d- d- clothes designer. I can't recall her name. She came with her. She was after making this this car coat in Kelly Green colour for Jacqueline Kennedy and she was wearing it at the time. Um, how old would you have been? Eight. I'm giving my age away now. And you met her... Was she staying there with the bites? Is it? No, no, she wasn't. No, she was. She was. She was invited to visit them. She was. I, I suppose there was a meal involved. I, I'm not sure, as I was so young at the time. But she came with her entourage. And you must have been in designer. awe of her beauty and her style, though. Oh, absolutely. And one of my cousins had a bandage on his finger, so she stopped and she spoke a bit longer to him and asked him what happened to his finger. And she was very, very nice. That's all I can remember about her. But it was just a beautiful coat she was wearing. And was it was it the case that your was it your uncle or your granddad was the was the butler? Not no, my uncle was the butler. The there. butler for a long, long time. Yeah, for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that must be an amazing job. Well, he was the butler in Lismore Castle in County Waterford uh, first. Wow, he must have been good at his job. Oh, he was excellent. Yeah, and he worked it for some time. Then he worked for um, uh, Lord Ivy the Guinness Air in Dublin. Your granddad should have written a book. I'm, I'm dropping some names now. You are. He should have written a book, <laughs> Barry. Oh, for goodness sake. Did he ever yeah. tell you who he met, like at Lismore Castle? They were probably coming and going all the time. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we took no notice because we were children, I suppose. We, we spent our childhood playing around um, Lismore Castle in, in the rooms and everything. And we actually had a, a family reunion, a, 40, a family reunion about 2014, it was, for our family because my uncle that was a butler there, my other uncle worked on the farm and the, the Duke of Devonshire in 2014 allowed us to go down the whole lot of us down to the castle and they showed us around and gave us tea and coffee with the whole run of the castle our American cousins and everything they were all in awe of it we were we were shown around we were, we were given a speech for us by the butler that's there now and told us about the, the history of the but you know when your dad would be meeting the likes of say Fred Astaire in Lismore Castle or indeed Jackie Kennedy in Rusbury, he'd mm-hmm. have to, a butler would mind his P's and Q's wouldn't he oh that yeah was, like, he would yeah you know, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah he you would wouldn't be, be engaging good. in a bit of gossip or chat they're standoffish Absolutely. butlers, aren't they? Absolutely not. And if they were out, if they were out um, um, doing a, doing a, a meal somewhere, and they were had, had to help out, he'd never come home and say who who he met or who was there with them. Never. And did he talk to you about the uh, robbery? It was the biggest art robbery in the history of the Irish state. In, in, uh, was it yeah, in 86? Uh, it was my uncle now. Yeah, yeah, my cousins more so because Your uncle, two, sorry, of my yeah. cousins, two of my cousins were over in the house. You see, they were living in in in, a, in the mews across 
from, from the main house at the time and, and my uncle was tied up and so was my one of my first cousins and my, my two of my first cousins the Vina girl they were tied up as well and uh, it affected them pretty badly they had to get counselling after because they were they were only in their teens or at the time it was Martin Cahill stole all those paintings wasn't it? Um, um there's a girl. There was an English girl. She was involved. I can't think of her name now. But were they? They were. Were they? Were, they were recovered, weren't they? They were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. But Rusper House now is actually given over to the state. You can yeah. go visit. Yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. put a value. They put a value of in today's Rose money of something fifty, Rose sixty, Dugdale. seventy million. It was, was Rose Dobdell. Do you remember her? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was involved. She was the main instigator of that robbery. Amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, great stories! I'm, I'm, I'm in awe at the people that have called in with different stories, just like your good self. Well, I don't know if you, if, if Brenda told you, um, Fred Astaire, uh, met Fred Astaire as well. That was in Lismore Castle. That was in Lismore. He was walking. He'd come because his sister Adele was married to Charles Cavendish, who was the Duke of Devonshire at the time, and they owned Lismore Castle. They still own Lismore Castle. But he'd walk around Lismore Town and people would would leave him alone, just say hello to him or whatever. But I had his autograph, but when I when I was getting married, when I was moving, I lost it. That's the way it goes. That's Isn't what happens. Just? The journey of yeah. life, boy. We put something aside, can't find it, gets thrown out. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Lovely chatting with you, Mary. Thank you so much. Right, Take Neil, care. Okay, Let's open bye. at 1850-104-106. Text 0868-104-106. If you thought that a barber shop was only for cutting hair, think again. The Baldy Barber. Morning, Mick. Morning, Neil. Um, then, surprise, surprise, was Scylla Black's TV show, wasn't it? It was, yeah. But what was it about? I never watched it. What Did she surprise people, was it? Oh, yeah. Uh, they'd bring people together that they hadn't seen for years. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then we had uh, Kitty Healy, Kitty O'Donovan, uh, on Great William O'Brien Street, and um, her, herself, she was a, a great dancer, and her brother, Joe Donovan, they were great Irish dancers. Their grandparents now would have known, known, known her very, very well. But we gave her a, a surprise, surprise for Kitty uh, in the shop. And it was priceless, absolutely priceless. Like when she came to Kitty's door and, uh, Jesus, what are you doing here? She said, still a black. <laughs> and what happens then? Do they, do you get reunited with long lost friends and relatives or what? Yeah, but uh, one did this way, okay, it was just to acknowledge all the work that Kitty had done down through the years with the dancing and the whole lot. But like, I mean, it is priceless the way they do it because it goes on for about five or six weeks trying to organise it and you can't open your mouth to anyone. God. I couldn't even tell my wife. That must have been that. very hard for you. Yeah, yeah, very difficult. You know, people would know there would be phone calls in the shop that time. There was no mobile phones that time. And you're on to, I think it was ITV at the time and they'd be ringing and, you know, make sure you tell no one or anything like that, you know. And so. why was why was Silla Black in the barbershop? Uh, she wanted to give uh, Kitty Healy a surprise, surprise. In the shop, in the barbershop in itself? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she actually did it at her front door and then she was brought down to the shop for the interview and she interviewed other people in the, in the shop as well. And tell me a little bit about Kitty, that she warranted such respect. Kitty was a, what they call her, she was a young widow, 24 years of age, and she had a, a son and a daughter, Michael, I forget the daughter's name, and uh, she was a fantastic person. She worked in Dunlops, and uh, she worked hard all her life for juice work. And uh, but as like the herself and her brother Joe Donovan from Mayfield, they were great Irish dancers, and that's what it was all about—about about 
dancing more than anything else. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. It was great. It was great. Oh, yeah, it was fabulous. It was a great laugh. And she passed you away know. now? Is she still with us? Yeah, she has. She has. Her, her, um, her what to call it, her, uh, Asher Hubie was a, her son. He, he walked out in the ESB club as a barman. He walked to laps as well. He was a great footballer, a great soccer player, and a great golfer as well. And then uh, her grandson played with uh, Cox City. Ginger um, Healy okay. uh, you know so what to call it I mean first connections and did you give Silla Black a trim when she was in the barbershop no no her husband, her husband Bobby they were lovely lovely people I must say now there was no pressure there was no pressure they were very good the whole crew there was about six or seven of a crew there but they were superb the way to handle the whole lot I mean you, you you do know like people probably know Silla Black was an incredible singer Oh, fantastic. She had an unbelievably powerful oh, voice. She had a beautiful voice. Absolutely. You know? But she, she, she you know, she had a, a great way about her with people. I just love watching her shows. So we went we all up to the DSB um, um, bar to watch the surprise, surprise being short. <laughs> we, we had to get together outside there. It was fabulous. Lovely. Was Kitty, and Kitty didn't drink the smoke. But she was a lovely, lovely lady. I must yeah. say that. Yeah, well, she's been out to me every Monday morning with her bunny for my life. <laughs> <laughs> and she was paid for about six months in advance. She had a book with John Toomey, Lord of Mercy, Mother of my And she was paid for about six months in advance. Okay, she said, Kitty, you're well ahead in your payment. Oh, she paying for her funeral, was it? The little shoebop oh, yeah, putting yeah, it yeah, aside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember oh, that when the insurance man used to call round? For us, it used to be Saturday right. afternoons, usually about five o'clock, Mr. Buckley. That's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. You probably knew Mr. Buckley. I think he might have I been from... Buckley, yeah. Yeah, I lovely, did. lovely yes, man. Always immaculately dressed. What? Always, always. Um, his father was um, a barber in uh, Shannon Street. And uh, young Dave, he was a barber as well. He cut hair as well. <laughs> in Ferguson, you know. But I also had um, <laughs> the sheik of uh, the, the consultant to the sheik of a man in for hair and shape. Not the sheik, yeah. just his consultant, was it? The consultant. His two sons were going to college here. Uh, one was going to press and the other led. Um, nah, the, the consultant to the sheik doesn't buy it with me. It's just not no, up there. Uh, no, but was, he was a lovely person. I tell you, the nicest person you could ever no, meet. I'll stick, to, I'll stick to the silver black story if you don't yeah, mind. That's right. yes, absolutely. Enjoy it immensely. Cheers, Mick. You're the greatest. Take right, care. The one and only Baldy Barber. Meanwhile, Janice. Hi. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Uh, you Hello. lived in Boston, right? We did, yeah. Okay. How yeah. long back are we talking about now? Oh, God. Um, it was about 20 years ago, I'd say. <laughs> and tell me the backstory so, to it. Was it in a hotel or something you met them? No, uh, yeah. So, uh, Bono and The Edge, they were playing a concert in the Fleet Centre in Boston. And they were they were staying in the Four Seasons Hotel. There was kind of a crowd gathered outside the hotel. Yeah. Not too many now. We were just shopping on the day, so... We went to have uh, a peek, I guess, and we realised um, that it was Bono and the Edge. They were leaving towards the concert. Yeah. So we um, had nothing for them to sign. So we were like, what, what are we going to do? We had been out shopping that day and we both bought Father's Day cards because Father's Day was coming up. So we got him to sign Father's Day cards and send them home to our dads. <laughs> <laughs> so Bono and the Edge signed on your behalf, your dad's Father's Day cards. They did, They yeah, put a little message so in there. Days. No, they just signed the cards with their with their names, like, and um, and that was it. <laughs> so needs to say, my my the two dads were delighted that day because it was my husband that that was with me as well. So they both got cards with um with signatures uh, for Father's Day. <laughs> I wonder, are the cards still around? 
Yeah, do you know what? I was talking to my mum over the weekend and she said there, she thinks they're up in the attic somewhere. <laughs> get them <laughs> down. Get, a few bob. I'm gonna take them down. get them down from there. And did you chat with them that day? Um, we like they were they were just on the way out. They were just signing autographs. Really, they weren't really. They didn't really say much. They were they were just kind of waving goodbye and 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 signing autographs as they were on the way to their limos to get to the street centre. <laughs> but at least they did stop and give some time. Some of them just barreled oh, no, through. They did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, they were very nice and they were waving and, and you know, they were they were very nice like but they were on, they were just on the way to the cars to do the concert like so we actually didn't even have tickets for the concert. We went that night um and tried to get tickets off the scouters because we were like, Oh, we have to go now so we went and we got tickets off the scouters and we went to the concert and it was amazing. Yeah, I can well imagine. Well imagine. How long do you live in yeah. Boston? Um, about two years. Yeah. About two years, my husband got a job over there, so we decided to go up and, and head over and, and see. Well, he actually went over in a J1 first, um, and then he, he went over as part of his college course. And then we went, he got offered a job permanently then after he finished college. So we upped and left for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was amazing. Great experience, I must say. You, you, you liked being there? Yeah, we loved it. It was actually Boston. It was like home from home really because there was so many Irish, Irish people living yeah, out there yeah, yeah. and I was working in an Irish bar um, waitressing so um, we were all like one big happy family it was just brilliant we loved it out there really good and then what encouraged you to come back then? I guess well I suppose visas my husband had a visa to work out there as part of his job but I had a visa just for two years yeah. and I kind of didn't want to stay um, yeah. I, I want. I don't want to stay legally and stuff because I want to. I want to be able to come home and have the freedom to see my family because I'm very close to my family. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was really the deciding factor, really. And, and you haven't regretted that move back or anything, no? No, no. not at all. No, sorry. I have three gorgeous kids now, and they're living in Douglas and happy hours of life. Uh, so lovely, lovely. the best decision we ever made. <laughs> You, you can't have kids without family kind of You sound way too young to me to have three oh, gorgeous dear, kids I'm living their own lives young. in Douglas. What? <laughs> no, I'm not way too young, trust me. <laughs> you sound it to me. Oh, dear God, I'd have to start uh, looking into how to keep myself younger. <laughs> I think you're doing a good enough job already. Nice one, Janice. Lovely chat and thank you. You too. Thanks for Bye. You Bye. too. Get it? You too. <laughs> the Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Text 0868104106. Staying with the phone lines, Jim Creek and Jim, good morning. How are you, Neil? Okay. I'm good, my man. I was chatting with the fellow on Friday who um, uh, drank away the whole day in the Ivy Leary with Shane McGowan, and Shane McGowan paid for the entire yeah, bar. Was, Did you hear that? Yeah, I was listening to it. That's why I rang in. I, actually, I, 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 I brought Shane back to Torlis. Shane's parents from Torlis. He used to bring him from Dublin to Torlis a lot of the time. He was a train gatherer. I was Shane for nine years. So I met Shane. I knew Shane well. Shane was a, he was, he was a crazy guy, like, but he was a totally nice fella. The reason, we used to bring him down on, on the 1815 from Houston to Torlis because it was non-stop. Yeah. And it, it, see, if, if, there was, if, it was, if it stopped anywhere else, but Torlis, he'd probably get off. So they used to put him on in the train, make sure the first stop he got off and left, and his father used to always say to me, whatever you do, don't let him near the dining car. You know, but it's all the one, because he'd have a bottle of wine in his pocket anyway. So he'd, he'd, it didn't matter if we gave him drink or not, he'd drink away anyway, you know. Um, when you were training, Gavin, I was saying you could be, you could, you could meet a hundred stars. I mean, I was sitting, I, I drank, I, I walked onto the train with Kevin Costner, and I, I fell off it because Kevin Costner was, um, he was supposed to be actually Michael Collins, you know, instead of Liam Neeson, and he was down in Cork doing his research and that. 
I uh, never knew that. Is that right? Yeah, he was. He, he was. He was before he made the film Dance with Wolves or else uh, Waterworld. He was telling us that he was going to do him. So he he was actually doing the research for Michael Collins in Cork around the barracks. He was around Solihead Bag and that in Limerick and a lot of places in Dublin. But he was he wanted to travel by train to see the whole thing. And he came down. He was down. We, he was going home one Saturday in the morning. And they had it all lined up for him, ready that we get him onto the first class carriage with no one knowing. But he missed it to turning into the Houston or into Kent Station. He went the wrong way. So he was queuing up like everyone else just queuing up. And no one noticed him. But we picked him out anyway. Before long, of course, there was a crowd around him. But he was turning up, turning up nice fella. Was this I mean, like, this is like 20 years ago, isn't it? Oh, it was years, it was. I mean, it's longer. I've gone out of I was well, 20 years. It was, I'd say it was around, it was just before the Michael Collins film. When did, 18 months before it. When was that? My, uh, Michael Collins might have been the early 90s then, maybe. But but why didn't Costner get the get the part? He did get it, but I think he, he actually passed it over to, to um, Liam Neeson. He had it. He was supposed to be the big fella, the tall fella. You know, they called Collins the big fella. Yeah. He was supposed to do it. And um, he was he was telling us all about He showed us all his research and everything that he was doing on the train. And he, he, had a lot of, oh, he had a lot of information about the English and the Irish and the whole lot. And he was telling, and, and the terrible life fella. We sat down, of course, you know, on the train then. He started talking, he wanted company, was, he was only with three, he was with his wife, I think, at the time. And two other guys, one was a research, another guy was either his mind or, or something, you know, but he was quiet, old fella, but a big guy. But um, he, of course, we sat down before we do it. I was actually just being a passenger up to Dublin on that morning. I wasn't working, but I, because I worked for Irish Rail, I was on the train for free. And all the fast class, uh, the first class passengers were always right next to the gas compartment. So you'd always meet the stairs. I mean, I met John Hume, I met Steve Collins, uh, Reese Myers, I'd know how many times. Um, Killian Murphy, so he was up and down the train when he was doing his dramas and stuff like that. You, 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 there's a lot of people you meet, you know. Costner gave the part to Neeson then, you're thinking, because he had I another commitment? Well, he, he didn't do it in the end because I knew that he jumped. He, he was telling us about a film called Dance Through the Wolves and Waterworld at the time. I don't know that he give it or what happened, but he didn't take it anyway. That's a certainty, you know. But he was he was very open and very nice. I'm kind of glad he didn't no... take it because Liam Neeson is superb in Michael Collins. Yeah, oh, listen, he was brilliant doing his job as well. I mean, he was, if I think he was perfect for it. But he was telling us, he was because he, he had to be. He was like, Costner's very tall, be tall man. And he was there asking because he was a tall guy. And, you know, like that, he, he, he was lashing out to him in the beer. I walked out to the train and fell off it. But um, a nice fella, like that. John Hume was a terribly nice fella talking to him in the first class. He was down doing something here. And uh, he was actually in Limerick. Because when I met him in Limerick Junction, back to Dublin, and a terribly nice man down to earth. Um, you know, Eamon Dunphy then, who was always trying to dodge onto the first class for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and, and <laughs> breakfast for free as well. Anything is good out of anything, you know. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, you, I had a list of people. Who, I was listening to them all. I was thinking, geez, I met him. I met him. I met him. I was thinking, oh my God. How many? Yeah, yeah. But Shane, Shane was going. The story was brilliant. Shane was telling us about how, how he was a little bit rude to uh, Sinead O'Connor one day in the backstage somewhere. He gets, she gave him a knee with the sun done. He, was, he couldn't go to the loo for a week. <laughs> But I tell you, he was you have the inside that. track. You have all the dark secrets. <laughs> his, his father used to ask us, so he used to get off and told us, that, whatever you do, don't let him drink into the first class. But he'd have a bottle of wine anyway. And he'd open it, you know. But he was telling us about his, he had a bracelet on his hand. He used to take it off and make everyone to wear it because it was uh, Phil Innitt's bracelet. And Phil Innitt's manager gave it to Shane McGowan when Phil Innitt died. He thought it was, you know, it was a sentimental thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but there was one time, there was a, it was a, it was a train guard got on. We were coming, we were on it without the tourists and the guards 
just across over that thing the freight and he got on but the train guard that was another train guard to me was just making a statement that he met your man from Cannon you know the guy I think he was Ironside as well the guy that was uh, that was on the star in that film that show that, uh, but he was talking anyway that he met this film star years ago Raymond Burr is it? Raymond Burr the actor that's him yeah yeah no he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been Cannon he would have been um, Perry Mason and Ironside wasn't it? That's Ironside, that's what it was, Ironside. Yeah. And he was telling him that he was in the dining car as a boy years ago, and your man gave him five pounds, you know, as a tip, and it was huge. But as he was saying it to Shane, he was just saying it like that I was a celebrity that he met years ago, and you're the only sec. Shane took it up the wrong way and took thought that we, that everyone used to get money off somebody, so he took out a big ball of money over his pocket, and it, he, it just oh, take it out, it fell out the elastic, and it fell all over the dining car, <laughs> and he said, here, just take what you want. <laughs> we were all trying to tell him that it was the other way. Like he was it's kind of sad, isn't it? To wrap it all back up and give it back to him. Like he was, I tell you, he was a big, strong, tall man. Oh, listen, I met him. He came into a studio years back. He actually came in with Ronnie Drew. Can you imagine that? I had Ronnie Drew and Shane McGowan in, in this in the studio with me. It was unbelievable. But McGowan, McGowan had to kind of stoop down coming through a regular door. Yeah, because if he fell, you know, if he slipped wheels or feet on the feet, trying to pick him up, it was impossible. And he'd like he'd go up, he'd get up, and then you'd fall down, and he'd fall down, and you'd get. Up. Oh my God! <laughs> we we get we had we had we have to tell him fifteen minutes. We get the tourist, or your, your stop is coming because by the time he stood up and got himself together, he'd sit back down, and the train like like on the stairs only stop at the stairs for two minutes, and if you didn't get off, <laughs> the thing about it was if Shane missed that stop, he'd go down to a station, and the thing about it is we. Used have to tell him whatever you do if we get off if we get off the next station if he missed the stop don't get on the next train because if he got on the next train going up it'd bring him back above Torres oh so he'd be up and down up and down and that happened a few times but it was nodding to him he, he needed, he needed a lot time. of minding he needed a lot yeah, of mind. Yeah, but I tell you, he, he knew it. He wasn't that... I mean, he might be drunk now, but he, he knew what was happening around him at the same time, you know. He knew what. He was able to rattle off all this. And there was another guy, I met, believe it or not, with him one day. And he was coming down, and your man had a, a, a bag of beer mats, and this is the truth. Beer mats just from the pub. And I said, what are they? And he said, would you believe it or not? He said, Shane thinks a lot of songs when he's in the pub. But when he's gone out, he didn't want nothing to do with the music when he used to have his own time off. But he used to think of the names of songs. And he'd be writing them on bear mats. And your man used to collect them. And he actually put songs together from the bear mats. Isn't that amazing? A jigsaw puzzle yeah. of bear mats that would go into yeah, the lyrics he, of music. God on the truth. And he had a collection of them. And he said, he, he goes, he wrote songs for George Michael and Elton John from bear mats. <laughs> oh, oh, that's true. Thinking of it when he'd be in the house and not to write down. So he'd write it on the bear mat. But then Shane would flick it to the side. And your man was collecting them. And that's the God on the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> I'm amazed, actually. I'm breathless. A day in the life of an Irish... Tra- uh, of a, an I, Irish I, rail train guard. One of the nicest of them all was our own celebrity, Jimmy Barry Murphy. Because you get on the train with Jimmy Murphy, you'd walk on, but you'd fall off. Because he got everyone, if the cock team were on it, everyone on the train drank. He was a, he was a star, he's, and he still is. And, but an awful nice fellow. He made sure everyone in Irish rail, or any staff, or anyone, you know, you might be just off duty or whatever, you know, yeah. that thing, maybe you could kind of have one or two. Yeah. But you'd walk on with him, but you would fall off. But you'd remember, <laughs> but, you know, he's Jimmy Barry Murphy. I hope that Jimmy Barry Murphy takes that as a compliment. I'm sure he will. <laughs> and it, was a, it is a compliment. Totally nice fella. Oh, my God. I'd say I could be yeah. here another half an hour listening to the people. Idea, but I've only a few minutes left. So All right, Jim. Cheers, anyway. pal. Loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. And it all started with uh, Kevin Costner. Dances with Wolves. What else was it? The Bodyguard. Uh, Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves. Didn't he, didn't he do JF, JFK? Am I confusing him with somebody else? 
Um, the Highwayman, The Untouchables. I mean, the list of films are just unbelievable. The Wyatt Earp, they go on and on. Bull Durham. And nearly did uh, Michael Collins. It's amazing who walks amongst us. Like if he's kind of traipsing around up at Collins Barracks doing the research into the barracks. People walking by doing their own thing, not knowing that uh, Costner's up there as well. Bet that's happening all the time. We just don't know it. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Yeah, actually, Emer is right. Barney McKenna was there as well the day that um, Shane McGowan uh, came into studio with uh, the great Ronnie Drew. Barney McKenna was there as well, but he got lost around the radio station at the time. I think we eventually found him on the wrong floor. Poor old Ronnie Drew was sick at the time. He wasn't well, but at the same time, it was it was such an honour to have the two of them in studio. I think they were doing something at the time for Celtic um, Celtic soccer team uh, in Scotland, if I remember correctly. But it was an amazing thing. Anyway, lines open. Uh, pick up the phone. Get involved. Maureen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are I'm you? I'm assuming this is broadcastable. Is it? Uh, I uh, well, it was the headline on the paper. You see, he was referring to. Um, all right, so you this was at the this was at the ploughing because uh, you're a fan yeah. of the ploughing championships, are you? Well, I grew up. My kids always wanted to go. I don't say I couldn't say I'm a great fan, but my kids always wanted to go up every year. So we just drive up with a gang of young lads and let them off. And uh, I was around the RTE tent at the time, and Marty was in there, and he was taking selfies with various different people. So I queued up and got my selfie taken with him, and put it on Facebook as one does and um, now we're talking the, not we're talking of which Marty Marty, Marty Whelan Marty. or Marty Morrissey Marty Morrissey <laughs> Marty Morrissey <laughs> and Marty was going out trying his hand at plowing later on in the day and um, the headline the next morning which was referring to his plowing attempts was the best ride of my life <laughs> but my, my friends gave me some sticks with my Facebook comments standing next to Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Superimpose the headline under your photograph. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, your claim to fame. I love it, I love it. Nice one. Thanks for that. Appreciate yeah. it, Maureen. All Thank the best. You. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Um, and we have two Martys and we love both of them. Lines open, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You know, I was talking um, about a week ago about the little, um, you know, white lies that you tell your children. I'll come back to a lot of those other calls, I promise you that, and lots more besides. I meant to come back to this on Friday. They call it Pinocchio parenting. I'm not quite sure why. I, best, I guess it has to do with Pinocchio's nose uh, getting longer when he lies, as you well know. Then I started getting texts, and I know we share this on 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 social as well, as to the little white lies, the little Pinocchio lies that you tell your children. One of the best ones I ever heard was, when the ice cream man plays music, it means he has no ice cream left. Imagine telling your child that. Imagine then years later they find out that it wasn't true. Um, back in the day, we were always threatened with the man. Everything was threatened with the man. I'll get the man. The ice cream man has no sink to wash his hands after the toilet and he touches all of those ice cream cones. We were horrified. Actually, I know people who still use that line and it's the furthest from the truth because I've been in ice cream vans a couple of summers and I can tell you something, they're like surgical theatres. When my kids were young, I told them I would always see what they got up to when my back was turned as I had eyes in the back of my head and it was only mom and dads that had them. I find myself now saying the same to my own grandson. And hopefully none of that will change, that we will keep those little 
cute little stories alive for generations to come. I blame the government for everything. Oh, sorry, you can't stay up late. The government won't allow it. So you blame the government when it comes to your kids. Oh, no, you can't have that hot water bottle in the middle of a heat wave. The government won't allow it. Why would you want a hot water bottle in the middle of a heat wave? Um, Black tongue works a treat on my four kids. They so believe it. So we always know if they're lying or not. But do the kids ever go in? Do they ever tell you a lie and then go into the bathroom, to the mirror and check and see if their tongues turn black? My mother told me if I make faces and the wind turns, my face will stay like that. Oh, the innocence of it. Uh, Anne, that new babies came in planes to hospital for Mammy to get them. What about the stork? What about under the cabbage leaf? It doesn't taste, taste nice. You won't like it as I eat my own Magnum ice cream. Jan says, I rang the, says to her kids, I rang the playground. It's closed. They have to fix the slide. Why wouldn't you just want to take him to the playground? Sarah, I tell my son, if he isn't good, Jackie Moon will catch him with his fishing rod and bring him up to the moon with him. Poor child always looks at the moon. (laughs) Do you ever wonder why? Um, Murren says, I tell them, if they stay up past midnight, they'll get stuck in yesterday. That's the best ever. Stuck in yesterday. One or two more. The guards are out there. They're listening outside the door. Talk about petrifying a child. Um, I think Santi, the Tooth Fairy, and the Easter Bunny should have an honourable mention here as well, Neil, don't you? The things you tell your children. Absolutely. Good old Santa Claus. Love him. That their communion money is in the credit union. <laughs> Where is it really? Spent. Um, what is that? Only moms and dads can see the black tongue, apparently. Is that what you tell the kids? Because No, I'm just wondering. If you say to a That's child... What it is. I got that completely wrong. My sister-in-law told me that you say to them, because Beckett was lying a lot. Like, Yeah, and, so uh, tell us what, how it works. Yeah, so you're supposed to say, you know, if, you, if you're lying, um, your tongue is going to turn black. But I didn't realise, she didn't tell me that the second part of that was that only moms and dads can see it. Because, ah. of course, Beckett, like you said, I think I must have told you that you story. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he Beckett the ran mirror, into the came mirror. Up, came back to me and said, My tongue is pink, mom. So I was like, Darren, he's obviously too smart for me. And it was only after then, my, last week, my sister in law said, No, you have to tell him that only moms and dads can see it. So, so only moms and dads can see, see the, the black, black tongues, tongue, and yeah. only moms have an eye in the. Uh, is, have you got one eye in the back of your head? or is it two? Uh, three I'd say at this stage <laughs> but another one I tell Javi which is awful is um, that the guards are going to take a call if he doesn't he keeps taking off his straps in the car and I tell him that the guards are going to bring him to jail if he does like, and it freaks him out the big eyes and like so. I, I, I probably would agree that that is a good thing because you don't want him taking off the strap no, in the car. No, no, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's a common thing I think a lot of my friends have had the same thing you can actually buy little uh, little brackets that they can't open so I'm going to probably have to go with that as well but yeah it's terrible there's the loads of lies okay. yeah, yeah. let's have a listen because Seamus took to the streets of Cork just chatting with people about little white lies we told loads of them God, we were child, we were childish uh, not, not, not white like they're like today no we were very innocent we were even innocent get married love <laughs> Telling the kids? No, my wife. Oh, no, telling our mothers that. If we were up the beds, <laughs> we were supposed to be in the park and we'd be up the beds. <laughs> they were all kind of stupid lies. Yeah, would she um, have any, any uh, I suppose, white lights with the fear of God into you? Oh, Jesus. The nuns and our president, that was. <laughs> we were afraid of our life there. 
comparing to the children that's going to they're happy going to school we we were happy and not happy if you know what I mean yeah put your hand out for the slap if we were late two minutes three minutes not like today my mother told me loads of ghost stories and frightening not really yeah no I can't harm myself but it was an old lies we going to confession all right we've all done that Oh, all of the old, what the, your mother used to tell you, you used to abide by. So, you had no choice. She put us on the right road anyhow. Never forgotten. Well, when we were told if we went past the shed, we'd be robbed. <laughs> that a man would come and take us if we went past the shed in our, or if we'd a long laneway into our house and if we went past the shed, we'd be taken away. And if we went into the woods, we'd be robbed as well. So, yeah, that was and the culprit here next to you. This is the culprit, you and that's the culprit. It was the granny. <laughs> it was more my granny, yeah. But, yeah, they backed us up. Yeah, yeah, big time. Oh, yeah, it's just the consequence modelling it, you know? Yeah, but sure, if you don't lie, stick out, if you tell a lie, you're telling lies. How do you know? Stick out your tongue. And then when you stick out your tongue, then she says, there's a black mouth. And then you don't know, she's only obviously calling your bluff because there's no shooting whatsoever, you know? But, uh, yeah. And so we'd be sent to the you'd be sent to the school now when we're passing if you're not good. Which was not great, it really was. Yeah. But that, that was a favourite one. We sent the cream out to you, but and if you were told you were unfair, you would you would get a step in school, you probably deserved it. Yeah. Are they You're in the shopping centre and if you were being bold, like the man couldn't get you now. But I, I was so good I never told any. Or you know, if anything happened, she'd just say if you if you broke your leg get over it that was it we still have a little one of five Did you pick and she'll tell you stick out your tongue if, you're, if she thinks you're lying Nana stick out your tongue do you know and then That's you have the, the white line your the tongue is tongue. all black I'm just brought up there the same as everybody else was rough and ready and best you could he's asking for words my father used to say to me there like uprises Catholics turned around and said man without a religion is a man without a soul and no future so that's that's the way it was it still is to me like she used to tell you what she'd do tell your father <laughs> <laughs> so you're, the, you're you picked them up from your mother so now you're using them on your own kids is it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what sort of stuff would you would you use wait till your father comes home <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that frightened them all right. Yeah, wait till your father comes yeah, around. Saved me, used to say to me, that was. <laughs> you wouldn't threaten them with Green Mount or anything, no? No. My father used to threaten me, though, with um, Spike Island. He's a little gobshite, yeah, I'll put you out to Spike Island. I'm well, sure that was a holiday camp. That's <laughs> <laughs> a holiday camp, he says. Everybody used the one, wait till your father gets home, wait till... If that was used on my kids, they'd only laugh at my wife. Wait till your father comes home. Of course, one that we got as children, and God knows it's so apt, really, when you think of it years later and everything that we found out, that we'll send you down to the nuns in Besborough. That was the one we had. And uh, you'd sit up and take note when you heard that one, I can tell you. Okay, back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And it says, am I hearing you correctly? The kids will need to stay at home from creche and school if they have colds, coughs, runny noses, sinus issues, etc. from September onwards. Yes, you are correct in hearing that. That's what I said. Are the government and Neffet having some kind of a laugh? I have small kids attending preschool. 
two of my kids will be interacting with about 20 plus families as there are 10 to 12 kids in their pod in preschool. We also have a childminder who has her own three kids in primary school. That's probably about another 90 families, three full classes that we'll come in contact with in some way, shape or form from September onwards. The COVID numbers are so high, it's very likely that that of these 110 Cork families, there will be an outbreak and we will be forced to stay at home with our kids if they're close contacts, right? Or if they have sniffles. Uh, I think every single child who starts back in creche every September has a runny nose or a viral infection within the first two weeks of returning after the summer. I know that's always been my experience anyway. Do the government realise how disrupted society is going to be for the next six months because of this stupid advice they're now giving parents? It's easily known that a lot of the public sector workers are still working from home and many haven't gone back to work. This won't impact on them as much as private sector workers who've been going into work all through the pandemic. I, for one, will be sending my kids into school, even if they have runny noses. I have no choice, unless the government want to ring my employer and explain why I'm at home minding sick kids every few weeks. I don't have an option. I will have to send them in with colds, coughs or sniffles. I have bills to pay. Thank you, Anna, by email to neil at redfm.ie. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. And you can fix 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. And you can text 0868104106. Very busy phone-wise this morning, every morning, but lots of different topics going on and things that are of interest, I hope, to you. This could well be of interest to you. James Toomey. James, good morning. Neil, good morning. How are you? Wasps. Is it wasps? A lot of them? Yeah, well, this happened last last Thursday in okay. the regional park. Yeah, what happened? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We were, um, I was in there with my daughter and my two nieces, and uh, we were waiting. Our wife was dropped. My wife, or my wife was dropping my son home, so we were waiting for her to come back. And uh, we decided to walk down the ferry trail. And midway down, we just saw it was absolute pandemonium. There was about five, six kids screaming and roaring, and um, a couple of parents panicking. So as we got close, then we saw that they were all being attacked by what? So we tried to help and we just kind of got as many kids as we could. We told them all to run, to get to the other end of the, to, the path. But uh, some of the parents stayed back with their kids because they were just trying to swat the wasps away and stuff, you know. So um, we were at the end and there was a little guy and he was holding his head. I'd say he was no more than five years of age and he was screaming and he said he got stung in the head. And I said, where did you get stung? So he was pointing at all different points in his head. So it looked like he got stung about five times in oh, his head, you know. Oh man, they got into his hair. Like, yeah. Probably got into his hair. Yeah, and I was trying to, I was trying to check his hair then, you know, because you know you'd be conscious with kids, and you know, I had my daughter, my two nieces with me anyway. So then there was this little girl, I'd say about four. Again, they're really young kids. These kids know that were with these parents, and she was running towards us, and she had her pants down, she her bare bottom, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and she was running, and then she was going around the circle, slapping. So my daughter Katie, I says Katie, because I was trying to keep all the kids together because they were just scattered, and I was trying to hold them together because the parents were up there at the end. And uh, were the parents Katie not went, aware? No. No, they were aware, because I, I, I ran with him. I says, come on, run. And the father says, run, run. He was screaming at him to run. So we got to the other, and I stayed there with them. And just this one particular kid, you know, who got stung in the head, he was trying to comfort him, you know. And then some other parents came, a lady came, and she was trying to comfort him as well. But this little girl, anyway, she ran towards us, but she, she stopped at her tracks, and she, she had her pants down. 
So I told my daughter, Katie, I said, Katie, we'll go and get her there. Now, the thing with Katie, my daughter's in autism and she's absolutely petrified of wasps. So for her to run into him was absolutely unbelievable, which Very I didn't want to laugh towards, you know? Very brave. But to be fair, she didn't get to the child, but by the time she was running toward the child, when we turned around and kind of ran back to her parents, back into the middle of it again, you know? Could you so, see a swarm of wasps? Or could you see them no. buzzing in big numbers? Um, I could hear them. Um, do you know what it was like? No, I'll be honest with you. It was kind of weird. I could hear the noise. I could hear, I could hear them all. But I couldn't really see them. I saw one, and then I saw two. Do you know the way you like spot an ant on the floor? Yeah. Because it was very strange. You'd, take, you'd see them all over the place. And it was like that. I see one. I saw two. I saw five. And it was ten. And I, I kind of saw them. But they were just, they weren't together. They were just scattered everywhere, you know? I know. They were spread out, if you want, you know? But there was a lot of them there. They weren't like one big clump of wasps, you know? It's the, ti- it's the time of the year and the heat, perhaps? Yeah, well, no, what happened, I think because once, once the parents came out, the father, he, he was absolutely destroyed and things I could see up his arms and everything, you know? He was in the middle of it for a long time. Uh, well, it was a swarm of them then, without a doubt. It was. Oh, it was, yeah, because what happened? Because we came back around the other side of the fairy trail and we walked where the playground is. And I just know, I just went over to have a look. Because the father, he, he, was, he was a foreign lad. He was kind of, ball of bees, ball of bees. You know, he was saying this to me. I didn't know what he was saying. He was panicking. So we were curious, so I went back along the track and I looked over where the bees were. They were still there swarming anyway. And I, I saw a ball where the bees were. So obviously the, the youngster dropped the ball. He went down to get the ball and he must have upset the hive at that point. You know? Yeah, you figure it was a hive then and they attacked... Well, there was be- a ball right where all the bees were. So okay, so there. they attacked because the ball disturbed their home, if you like. Obviously, yeah, that's what happened. I don't know why else would... Why do wasps attack people otherwise? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I put up an interesting article there this morning on the boys, I think it was an Ocker Facebook page about wasps and why they attack. Yeah. You know, I think I sent it on to Brenda. Yeah, uh, well, let you tell me rather than read it, because you're saying that a nest can contain 10,000 wasps. Well, I'm no expert, no need, they don't pretend to be. This is just what I was doing a bit of research myself on them. Yeah, at, uh, all toward the end, there could be 10,000 wasps in a nest. And at the, like, the, the, they, they all become redundant, apparently. So they have nowhere else to go. The queen's laid her egg. Um, and that's it. She goes into hibernation till winter. So you have all these wasps who have nowhere or nothing to do. But they're coming to the, to the apparently they're coming to the end of their lives. So yeah. they're dying. Yeah. And now, another Are they dying now? Going. Is this the process yeah, of they're, their, right. they're dying now, but they're craving sugar and sweet things, you know? And apparently when you're when you're out that's when you're out your back and you're having your beer or whatever like that, you're attracted to the sugars and that, you know. And that's why they come swarming around you. And apparently then when you're swiping to them, that's you're attacking them and this their receptors are sending out help me, help me <sighs> and more bees are coming, you know? Oh man. And apparently then if you get stung, that's just like a beacon. So no matter where you go, the boys are following you. You know? Well, we all got stung as kids, and even I got yeah. stung 10 days ago cutting the grass. Not a big deal, you know? It's a bit annoying. Yeah, yeah. But the, like, for, like for a child, it's a different ballgame entirely. And certainly one, one wasp sting is very different to be, have a swarm of them around you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That young thing, you know, I can't get it on my head. It's just a scream. And he was in absolute agony. He was dancing on his feet, holding his head. Must have been a, must have been an agony. You know? That was multiple stings to the scalp. Yeah, and he kept pointing yeah. to his head, and yeah. you know, you, there's nothing you can do for him. There's nothing you can do. It was actually worked with his father. I said he needs to see a doctor. You know, you know, he might go into you know 
you might be in antihistamine or something, you know? Correct, you're right in that regard. I learned a lot about wasps this morning, that they're redundant, they've nothing to do, job's done, yeah. queen's gone to sleep, and they're coming to the end of their lives and shave, craving and sugar. Lives, yeah, and they're just craving sugar. And yeah. Hold on there a second if you want, if you're not in a rush. Dave? I'm not. How, how are you, Neil? I'm good. You were uh, in the regional park Sunday, is it? Oh, stop. No, yeah, not yesterday, the Sunday before. Yeah, Sunday I headed before. off. I, I, I have three boys, they're nine, six and three. And uh, I said, we go for a walk and left my wife in bed. We were headed off early. And down by the river, I said, we, we did a little bit of a meditation. And then I said, right, I started talking to him about positivity, like, right, and raising your vibration and all that. So I said, right, now he started. We're kind of standing around and let's talk. I said, right, lads, we're going to have a, a great day today. Today is going to be a great day. I can't wait to meet the people we're going to meet and the next thing and they all did it one by one like and whoa, we were revved up like geez, today's going to be great we started walking back out onto the path about 10, 10 seconds after all this positivity and raising your vibration next thing the eldest fella started roaring like you know it's a different kind of cry you know than if they fell and grazed their knee like so I said, what, what's wrong what's wrong he couldn't talk like next thing the, the baby started and next thing the middle fella whatever way I looked second wasp the eldest fellow was stung three times. The baby was stung in the inside of his leg in the middle of his, in his belly button. And oh, sick, sick. I rang my wife. I said, come here, we cream at home for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were walking back and the lads holding on to where they were stung. Dad, you, 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 you said we were going to have a great day. And you, you said we were, well, like, what do we do to deserve? Oh, how is I going to explain this? Like raising, raising your vibration and positivity. Oh, my God. Thanks a lot, position. Dad. Oh, thanks. Oh, they'll never get like, yeah, yeah. The next time Dad is going for a walk in the morning, they won't be coming, like. And there you are, giving the wife a lie in. You're so good. Yeah, yeah. I have to wake her. Yeah, and then land home with three crying kids. No. Anyway, in fairness, they did deal with it well, and we did end up having a good day, but oh my god it put me in some position of how am I going to explain this one like <laughs> that's the choice of being oh. kids boy in the park <laughs> comes with the territory unfortunately <laughs> I love the idea of the little bit of meditation though and raising their awareness and stuff like that their vibrations yeah 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 yeah. Mm. look they, they enjoy it look for simple stuff just close your eyes and, and, and listen to the sounds and just and then they kind of tell me what you hear like and oh, I could hear the river flowing I could hear the birds yeah look it's just kind of a bit of a I think it's fantastic it's brilliant, you know? It's brilliant. They might be a little bit slower to keep their heads stuck yeah, in a mobile phone the rest of their life, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, and I know. And they'd be questioning the location the next time I'm bringing them. Like, <laughs> yeah, they'll probably say, we'll pick the, we'll pick the next destination. You, you, yeah, you can keep your positivity to yourself, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Cheers, Thanks, James. James. Cheers. Take care, lads. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 86 Red FM. The little white lies that parents tell children. Orla, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good. And what do you recall from your youth? Oh, my God. <laughs> if we did anything, we were told that safe. So go on to the Good Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> what did that mean to you when she would say that? You're, I'll send you to the Good Shepherd convent. That's the funny thing. We didn't even know what the Good Shepherds were about or what they were. We were just all threatened with it. <laughs> so it frightened you, but you didn't know why. Yeah, and you'd have the fear of God when you she say it. You better stop now or you're going to, you're going to the Good Shepherds. And we would stop in fear. And then afterwards we'd say, Mom, what Shepherds? Like, where are they? I'm telling you now, girl, you don't even want to know about it, but you'll be going there if you don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you do you have kids? 
I do, I have three, three boys. And do you have any that you might be uh, willing to share with us when you put the fear of God into them? You couldn't put the fear of God into any of mine. They just, they just look at you as if you're two heads on you. <laughs> so for you, it was the good... I mean, it's it's quite serious, actually. But when we were kids, for you, it was the good shepherds. And for me, it was the nuns in Besborough. <laughs> so our parents had a fair idea that they weren't the most yeah. pleasant of places, remember? You, know? <laughs> you would, you'd have the fear of God and you know, worries when she'd say it, like, but you would really, like, stop in your tracks, but, like, that, as I said, we didn't have a clue where the good shepherds were or what they were about, but you'd put, stop in your tracks when she'd say it, I tell you. But. It put man- manners <laughs> on you, it certainly did. Okay, thanks, Orla, <laughs> cheers. Keep those calls coming, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty. 104106. We were doing some research and chatting about it at the back end of last week as well. And then over the weekend, I was looking at some prices of maybe what, what you could call quite small properties in Cork that are for sale now. I mentioned one earlier on uh, that's uh, on the market down in Black Rock at the old convent. It's a one bed um, uh, apartment down there at 300,000. Um, I was doing, I think it might be fair to be able to say, because I came across some uh, for sale si- sale adverts on the examiner um, over the weekend as well. And if I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was a three bedroom semi in Beaumont. Uh, I believe it's on the market for 425,000. And the reason that it would be on the market with that kind of money is because it is near a school and they would be pitching the sale of that house to say, a young family who either have children or want to have children and want to be near a school uh, and, and areas like that, all of the different services. So in a reasonably nice suburb of Cork then, a three-bedroom semi is probably fetching four hundred to 425000 Um and that would be turnkey now. You know, there's some of them that would be would be cheaper because they'd be, you know, in the family for many, many years and when they're sold, they'd need a refurb. But in this case, no refurb necessary. And then Tommy Gould was talking about uh, a one bed, one bath in the middle of a terrace for 175,000. Now, it literally is the tiniest little single floor building that's wedged between uh, in a terrace, two story buildings left and right of it. Um, And in one case, it's wedged in between a, a three story building, but it's absolutely tiny. Now, the fit out inside is gorgeous. It really is. But it's just one long, narrow passage. Uh, and um, I was showing to people as well, and they were suggesting for that, 175000 is way above perhaps what it's worth. But maybe they'll get it. But it just goes to show where we're at with regards to housing availability and housing prices. Uh, Tommy Gould joins me by phone, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. Tom, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Are you saying that that kind of money is is, is too high? I'm saying that kind of money for that property is crazy, Neil. And just to let your listeners know, in 2017, for what I believe, that property was on the market for 60,000 euros. Now, I know it has been renovated and it looks lovely, but how in the name of God could people be expected to pay 175,000 euros for one room? It's not one bedroom, so just let your listeners know this. This isn't a bedroom. This is just one room. The whole lot is only one room. And it's not the only one. Like you mentioned yourself today, one's a black rock for 300,000 and Douglas for 225. You can buy a, a house in Douglas for 225, I no, doubt. No, a room in Douglas for 225. And there's, there's one in Blackpool now. You can buy a room in Blackpool for 120,000. What do you mean when you say a room? Like, do, do you see this property? It's just one room. 
That's all it is. Yeah. There's no yeah. upstairs. There's no. There, there's there's no a ladder. No there's place. a ladder up to a mezzanine, f- half a floor for the bed, isn't it? And then the rest of it is all. It's narrow and it's long, but everything is going on downstairs. And you see, Neil, I'm, I'm talking to people every day, well, and I'm bringing you know from my clinic here in Shannon Street, right? And people are really upset. They're really frustrated. You have people, you might have uh, one of them working and uh, uh, one of them to stay at home to kids, or you might have two of them working. They cannot afford the prices. The average price to buy a house in Cork at the moment is 320000 And it's, the government are saying an affordable house in Cork is anywhere up to 400000 Now, you, what your listeners know, an, an average family, with, even with two people working, couldn't afford a mortgage of 400000 And this is, these are private houses now. Like this, people are contacting me now. When I started off in politics first, it was all about social housing. And 90% of my people who had come to me was about social housing. But what happened is the rates never increased over the last 10 years. I know people who would have qualified for social housing 10 years ago are now earning too much mm. and they can't get a mortgage mm. and their earnings aren't big enough. So they're trapped in the middle. They're paying high rents and they're, they're without hope, Neil. That's the big thing here at the moment. Because people listen to your show today, uh, they're living with their parents, their grandparents, they're living in bedsits or hovels and they have no hope. And they're looking at that and they're looking at these so these uh, properties being advertised and they just can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Mm, and, it's, mm. it's and are they managing to put together the, the deposits? You see, Neil, it's cash 22. If they rent a half-decent property, it's going to cost them 14, 15, 1,600 euros a month. It's impossible to save in for a mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Wait. these are the people who are trapped in the middle. These are people who are working hard, trying to raise their families, they're trying to do everything right, and they just feel abandoned. And is it time? Is it? And I know that it's just going one way, and that's up. But is it time for more people to be looking at more satellite town options with good transport facilities for them, good roads, or you know, something on a train network, or I don't know, you know, uh, where, where prices? You, you, I, I know people who are going out to. Uh, Castle Merthyr, Castle Magna, Dunhamore, people who move you can't get properties even in, let's say rural areas Mallow, for my place like that Cove, where you could have went to one time you can't get properties there either and the rents there have gone through the roof as well, like there's a few simple things we could do straight away and we've discussed it all we're looking for a ban in evictions and we're looking for a rent freeze for three years that would give us time at least people would, would be sure that they wouldn't be evicted and their rents won't keep going up. And one other thing we are looking to do is to give one month's rent back to the family that you can claim a tax credit. So you can get one month. So if you're paying 14 or 1,500 euros a month, that's, like, imagine the difference that would make to a family at mm. Christmas mm. if you could have 1,500 euros back. And there's also so, an awful lot more pressure now because there's not enough for sale to meet demand because more people won't be going back to the office or they're going, leaving Dublin and coming back to Cork. Or, do you know what I mean? They're going to be working from homes and they're buying homes for that in mind. Yes, and actually I was talking to people in the building industry last week, Neil, and they're telling me that some contractors have actually stopped uh, developments at the moment because the price of materials is so high mm-hmm. it's gone up to as much as 40% and it's not possible for them uh, 
to, to factor in that increase. And the other big issue then is you cannot get uh, workers in the building line. Carpenters, masons, electricians, a lot of them left during the downturn went to Australia and all over the world. We, the government then didn't do anything about apprentices. And we're here now at the moment, and if you ask any builder, they cannot get workers. So we're in a perfect storm. At the perfect moment. storm for prices to increase because of the lack of buildings, uh, houses being built. Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way. It's if demand. You property, if you bought that property in Vickers Road for 175000 you'll probably get 1500 euros a month to rent it to a couple, right, or an individual or a family. That's, that's 18000 a year. You'll have your money back in 10 years. I mean, you did say that it was on the market in 2017 for 60 grand, yeah. but, they, but they'd have put us another 60 grand into it, like. But what's happening now is landlords and these agencies, these, these investment companies, they are looking at Ireland. They can't believe it. They can't believe, no, the, the rents in Ireland and they've got the government to do nothing about it and they're coming in now and they're buying up properties right across the, the city and the country. Like, I've heard of there's consortiums from Europe, from Germany, from China coming into Cork and buying up apartments and houses for investment properties. They're looking at the big companies like Pfizer and Eli Lilly and Apple Computers and they're saying there's, there's, there's loads of staff there who can find property. I spoke to a guy two weeks ago. One of the reasons he didn't take a job in Cork is he couldn't find accommodation. So when we hear of all of these job announcements and people being hired in the 50s and 100s and 200 new jobs, alarm bells should be ringing as well. Where are these um, employees going to be housed? Well, Neil, I actually went to a, a meeting with all these multinationals uh, three years ago, they, they, they held a meeting. I was actually the first in Fee and TD, they were going to one in, in Munster. And all the multinationals were saying the biggest issue for them at the moment uh, when it comes to staff is housing. Because if, if they're making announcements, and in actual fact, some of them said, they're, they're looking at their investment in Ireland and considering other locations now because the housing crisis is so bad here and might be easier to set up some other thing or go off to the family. But you know something? When you talk about foreign companies and pension firms and all sorts of people coming in here and buying and buying up all of the properties, should city council and the county council are bidding against um, private individuals as well? So UCC were one of the greatest hoover-uppers of property for decades and nobody said anything about it. They were buying everything inside of the college. I mean, so it's not just overseas companies coming in here. We were doing it ourselves. City Council is doing it. They're outbidding people. I, can I say this now? That's wrong. Because there are people out there now who are trying to put a roof over their head. I meet with a girl in the, in, later on in the hour. Uh, she has a mortgage. And every time she goes to buy a house, the price goes up. Herself and her husband have a mortgage clear. They're both of them working. They have a young family. They're, they're after doing well for themselves. And every time they try to buy a house, the mortgage goes up and they have to go back to the bank. And they're trying to borrow, borrow beg, and steal the money. And they can't buy a house. Can you imagine me having sanctioned from a bank to buy a house and you cannot buy a house in car? Did you ever think? And this lady, you know, they're after doing everything right. People, people are just, they're without hope at the moment. They're very upset. They're very angry. And all they want to do is put a roof over their family's head and have a nice home and a good quality of living. And what would you do rather than just criticise the way things are now? How would you make it better? 
Neil, I lost my housing uh, or vacant home strategy there last month. There are 7,000 homes, uh, 7,000, uh, nearly 8,000 homes in Cox City and County vacant right now this minute. Where I am in Shadow 8,000? Yes. We could clear the housing list in Cox. Now, listen, even if we only got 1,000 doors back a year, even 500. But why are they, why are the 8,000 houses vacant? Why, why are they vacant, that amount? Mr. Neil, I could walk through Barrett Street, Lockman Street, Chandler Street, Blackpool, with you. There's, there's houses where you There's a house, there's a place in Blackpool Street that has been left there 30 years. There's a neck cuttings up in there and no one living there 30 years. It, it's a scandal. There, there are houses right now that if you brought in the builder, they could probably develop it and return it in three or four or five months. And if... If but what's the reason behind it? Is that because there's title issues that they don't know who owns no, them or they're owned by repossessed by banks or what? Well, you see, Neil, they're just left there. There's a number of reasons, right? Some of them are landlords who may be old or who are not interested or who might have loads of money and don't care, right? What we are saying is there should be a levy on them. Either they use the houses and rent them out or that the council come in and compulsory purchase them and also that we put a 15% levy on them to the value of the house. The only way to hurt these landlords who don't care about the rest of society is to hurt them in the pocket. If you, if you come with me now, Neil, and then meet you someday, we'll walk around. I'll show you. I'm, I'm happy to do that on a day that suits you. Absolutely. I'd love yeah. to do that because I would like to get some more information and, you know, 400 va- I think it's McBarry is saying that there's 400 vacant Cork City County Council houses, is that right? Yes, and I would say more. And actually, I tell you, Neil, I was up in Mayfield a few weeks ago, and there are houses up there that are that are ready. That the council has done up, they're ready to go out. And there's people around Mayfield, the Glen, all over the north side, are saying to me, "My family would love that house. We'd love to move in there." The houses have been done up months ago, and they're still boarded up. Like I don't believe. Like, I, I but there must be a reason for it. They're, they wouldn't be sitting on their hands otherwise. Like, I mean, it would make no sense for them. They have to have a reason. It, it, can I say, Neil, there isn't a reason because we know there are properties built in Achmini, brand new houses, and some of them are still idle. Like, How long? Months. Months, brand new houses, months. McBarry also said that 10% of the houses in Madden's buildings are vacant. I think they're having a protest there at uh, 1 o'clock today because of that. We, we also have issues in places like Barrett's buildings. You see, Neil, we have to fast-track them. The minute the houses come back, they should be turned around. Putting these metal shutters up on the windows or locking the doors doesn't work. Like, we have families. Are, are you people in the waiting room here now who are here to talk to me about housing today? Every Monday, I, I hold a clinic from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock, four hours, and 90% of people are here. To and you must people. feel helpless then. And you know, the thing we need, we could, we could fix this, this. No, we can't fix it today, but we could start turning houses around soon, straight away. Like, we know there are houses right up the hill from me. I can see it from my office I'm looking up the window. Is the old Connie Donovan's pub. Right? That, the, the metal shutters are up there where they were going to build apartments. 
I want the council to come in, develop that for downsizing, maybe put 20 or 30 units in there for all the people and people with disabilities and have wraparound services, and then that would release 30 houses to families who want to buy them or who are social But city council are in the middle of a big um, social housing project in Blackpool. I cycled past it last week. You know what? Yeah, 10 years ago I was talking about that. I was on your show talking about 10 years ago. Like, this is the length of time. Yeah. We, there's another development in the old way, Chuck's Road, 2009, I spoke about So it, it took 10 years to get the bricks and mortar started in Blackpool on that un, on that uh, that site. And it'll probably take two years before anyone moves into it. Okay, well, listen, I'll let you get on to meeting your constituents, and I'm happy to hook up with you at a time that suits. Do come back to me on that. Thanks a lot, Tommy. Tommy Gooch and Fane TD. He gets very passionate about families and homes and lack of housing stock, and why wouldn't he? Lines open at one 104 106 Your thoughts are welcome. You can text 086-8104-106. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. You betcha. Um, Anne, good morning. When we good spoke, morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. When we spoke last year, was it... You couldn't get holy water because of COVID and the fonts that's were right, empty and, the, and was, right. the churches were closed, wasn't it? That's right. And I didn't, I went, I was on the radio speaking to them and then I got so much of it, I could have had a bat in it. <laughs> People were dropping it off to you, weren't they? They were dropping it off. They were very, very good. And I wanted to thank them so much. And what but did I you want it for again, Anne? You just like to have it around? Well, I, I wouldn't go to bed. Yeah. Neil without blessing my house or my family. That's it, I remember now. And yeah. other, other people as well, like the prisoners, the homeless. That's right. I know I'm, I'm going on to Kabul now for the um, Afghanistan people. And there's no harm in it whatsoever. No harm, but I wouldn't go to bed, Neil, without blessing my home. So no you, got, you got I, lots of it? I got lots of it. And then I was there a Friday, Neil, and I want to... This is the only thing I can do on the, on the platform of your show is... I came home from the hospital after hurting my ankle. Okay. See, I was boxing my, 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 my granddaughter. <laughs> and I missed a step and down I went. Oh, no. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And there was a bag outside my front door, a brown bag. And there was a bottle of holy water from Knock. And a beautiful note, um, Neil, with no name or anything. But you wouldn't mind if I read out the Would note? Would you mind? Is it okay for you to read it out? Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah okay. It says, I heard you on the... It says, Anne, they had my name, no worries. I heard you on the Neil Penville show last year. You were finding it hard to get holy water. My daughter got this in luck, and I thought of you, which is the bottle of the holy water. Hope it's okay to leave it outside your door. All I ask of you, Anne, is that you say a prayer for the return of my daughter's health. <sighs> and I want to tell that woman... Because she list, she must listen to your show, Neil. Yeah, I know. That I started praying a Friday night for her daughter for the return of her health. Oh, my God. Like, she, you know, like, let yeah, know. no, she must be very worried and anxious. Why wouldn't she be if her daughter she, is unwell? She must be. Yeah. Being a mother, like, you would understand it. But I just want to let her know, know if she's listening, to thank her for the bottom of my heart for getting a hold of water from Knock. And I started praying for her daughter. Uh, Friday night, and I will pray every night for her. Well, she couldn't have left a bottle of holy water out an, outside a nicer <laughs> person's door because you will, and you are. And oh, I did, and I will continue. But like, I just wanted to thank her, and like, there was no name, no yeah, nothing, yeah. only just an ex, you know, a kiss, like. And uh, I just wanted to let her know. Because you'd be worried, wouldn't you? 
We don't. See, I, 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 I was thinking, like, maybe she's saying, oh, like, will she do it or won't she do it? No, but you'd be worried for her, like, she's obviously... I'm, I'm, and I'm worried for her daughter. She's looking for intervention, understandable, yeah. She is, and the only platform I can use uh, is your, yeah, your yeah. show, because yeah. she must listen to your show when she mentions you. And, of course, there's no name nor number, nothing, but she does listen, nothing. so she's listening right now to you saying, yes, I am doing that for you and for your health of your daughter. I am. I wanted to let her know that. Lovely. And to thank her for the holy water from Knock, and I Lovely. will pray, and I did pray Friday night. Well I started like my night prayer to Friday night and I will pray every night for the return of a head of her daughter. I'm so glad you called and she will take a lot of consolation and comfort from that Anne. Well done. She will of course yeah, Neil yeah, and well thank done. you for giving me the time right. to tell her that. Alright Anne mind okay, yourself Neil. you're the greatest cheers. Thank you so much have a bye, good day bye, Neil. Bye. Sometime back I spoke on the air to Catherine and she was telling the story of a couple of years ago her parents passed away within a matter of days of each other uh, in actual fact, they were at. She was at her father's funeral when her mother died at the funeral. Uh, do you recall that conversation? They had to, they stopped the funeral um, and ended up uh, burying both father and mother. And she cleared out her parents' home. Um, and after everything was finished, she was left with about six thousand euro from her parents' estate after it was settled. And she had the choice then of uh, using the money for what she needed, which was either to buy a little car for herself. Or get the garden done. She decided to put in a memorial garden and she hired uh, what she thought was home improvement specialists at the time. They wrecked it and completely destroyed it. Um, left the back garden like a building site, cement everywhere and just, oh my God, it was awful, the photographs of it. I think something like 3,000 euro passed, uh, passed between herself and these so-called home improvement specialists. Um it was awful. Uh, now, she did rep- report them to revenue and reported them to social welfare and got onto the guards and the, squ- and the fraud squad. We got involved in the case at the same time. Uh, couldn't get any response. Uh, I believe that those individuals are still trading and back trading and continuing to do business. That was the story. Uh, but in typical Cork fashion, uh, when I was chatting with Catherine, the help started to come in from those in the trade reputable individuals and companies who wanted to help her and sort out um, you know, the devastating uh, state that her garden, this uh, should have been a memorial garden. I mean, it was just like like a building site. It was just shocking. But this is just a couple of minutes of my conversation back in the day with Catherine some months back. And to see the thing is, Neil, it was supposed to be for my father. I know. It was supposed to be for my parents. Did you tell... nothing there. Did they know that? They did. I oh my the God! Story. The heartlessness of it. It's like Neil. How anyone can sleep at night? Because I, I, honest to God, Neil, I myself, my husband, were two decent people. And did <laughs> your husband? Gi- did your husband give the four thousand cash on top of the other three thousand cash out he of? He gave them whatever they wanted. Out of fear, he just, he just gave it to them. And even this morning, oh, he was so upset. He didn't want me to do this, but I, I, I'm carrying this for two years inside me. It's just terrible. I mean, the way people are taking advantage. Open the door. The cement has gone up to the door. We can't open the door. He cemented up to the door. We can't go out the back. We can't go out. But what in the name of God were they doing if they were there that long that they couldn't get it right unless they just haven't a clue what they're doing in the first place? Um, A lot of people, incidentally, do just pay up to be rid of them. And sometimes a lot of people pay up because they are in fear, Catherine, and they think... I know, but Neil, it's that way to it. Because it was all... I'll be honest with you. I had money saved. 
to get a small car for myself and I don't care I don't I don't care if I have one or not I really don't but I think I was so heartbroken and I told him that I said look I I I have this to buy a car I'll do out the car I said I need the car because of what I was going through and I can't believe that he'd do it to me well, and decided. to look over it every day it's just depressing it's hard it's hard and the thing is I had said to him as well like with myself and my husband all I want is we sit out the back with our two dogs. It's what we do. We don't go anywhere much. He's not able. My husband isn't able anyway. I mean, thank God I'm able to walk again. Um, but just to be able, all we want is why I felt the back was important as well because we could sit out there. Yeah. But like, it's killing me looking out. It's driving me insane. For 7,000 euro, you would have got a fantastic Nothing. job done by people who are professional. You just would have got it. isn't that neat? We don't even have a paving slab from him. And he took all this, he took everything we had. He took all the tools, the hose, you name it. That was a shed. They took it. They took everything from your shed, including uh, like, like all of your dad's things. Yeah. Oh, they're all gone. They're all gone. They robbed everything. Top of everything. They robbed everything as well. She got 6000 from her parents' estate. But uh, forgive me, I may have given out an incorrect amount of money earlier. She actually paid over €7,000 in cash. And if you saw the photographs and videos, and we'll share them again on social media at midday, you see the before and after. But I can tell you one thing now. I want Catherine's garden. I really do. Catherine. Good morning, Neil. I'm green with envy when I see <laughs> when I see the job that uh, Southern Green Homes did for you. It's unreal, unbelievable. Un- I'm I'm up in the clothes. I haven't come down yet. It's like the new gardens up in the Montanati Hotel that I visited last week. It is stunning. Oh, How do you feel? I'll be honest, Neil. I don't think anybody would understand the change it has made to us. On, I just can't. I got up just the morning and I came down. And to see Tom sitting, he was sitting outside with the two dogs, like, it's, it's just meant the world. It might be a simple thing to somebody, but, like, it's just, I have no words. I mean, I can say thank you a hundred times over to yourself, to everybody, and to Sergeant Green Homes, to Paul, Alan, who was here, and Martin. I have to say, Neil, Alan was here, and Martin injured his leg, Alan was here, and I never saw anybody to walk so hard. They came and they walked all day. From day one, wouldn't take a cup of tea. Would go out, have their lunch, bought their lunch with them, back in, walk, walk, walk. Unbelievable. How long hard did walking. it take? Well, you see, there was a good few weeks, but there was a week's holidays and we were short, stone, and that took a week to come down. And as I said... But between the jigs and the reels, I know, I understand that can be... T- are we talking about three, four weeks? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they had to drill at the start. The whole thing, all this concrete had to be dug up, drilled up and taken away. That took a lot of time alone. I have no grass, so it's, the whole back is all decorative stone plus the patio. The patio is gorgeous. It's absolutely Absolutely. superb. The gorgeous pebbling stone is just a lovely thing to walk upon. It's kind of a goldy, multicoloured. And then on top of that, you have the most beautiful wooden gazebo. That's a gazebo, isn't it? Is that what they call them? Pergola. 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 Tell you, there you go. (laughs) That's what it is. I'll tell you a good one. And then gorgeous shrubs. Uh, in in the in the loveliest kind of tr- like long long concrete troughs, beautiful. Yes, and that was for me because I wanted something where I could put in a few plants myself, 
and walk away. Like, Neil, I can get up every day and I'm pottering. I was out there. Actually, I had got a few lights my neighbour put up in the pagoda, right? And the last few nights, you'd laugh at me. I got out of bed. I was telling Seamus and I just went down and I stood and I looked out at it. I just, I just keep going down and looking out at it. She'll be moved to tears, I'd say, down there. Moved and you, you'd laugh at this one now. We were married 34 years on Saturday and we had dinner out in the patio Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have had dinner out there six weeks ago, two months no, ago. No, no, Tom, it's me. I have a table booked for two, he says, out in the patio. <laughs> so it was gas and we're laughing. You, to change, I, looking back in it, I didn't realise how bad it affected me. I, there was a dark cloud over me and from the day I spoke in the show... The first few days were very emotional. I was all over the place. But it actually, it was a healing process because when my parents died and that happened, I stopped. I didn't grieve. I knew. And it just, it, I just went through a whole crazy turmoil. Oh, for God's sake, you're at your father's funeral and your mother dies at the funeral. I mean, that's... But I have, I, I have a sense of peace. I know. I, it's something personal. Like, I'm so happy. I'm at peace. And you've also delivered on your promise to your mum and dad. Yeah, it is. Do you know what I mean? It is. It's just, it's a very personal thing to try to explain. Well, I it's, think it's fantastic. And I just want to have a quick is. word with Paul from Southern Greenhouse. Paul, good morning. Good morning. I'm speechless. I really am. It's just <laughs> the most incredible job. And all free of charge. I think also, and this doesn't surprise me, Cork Builders Providers came on board as well. They're a great company. Did they, they come did, on board? Yeah. They did. Cork Builders Providers in the north side, Neil. A lad by the name of Sean Toomey. I'll be honest, I'm a truth with you. He gave us, we got about 60% of the materials in there in Cork Builders and free of charge. It's just an amazing, happy story. It's a great end to it. You know, so... Terrible, terrible story. Yeah. And obviously, Alan and Martin... The work that they carried out first class as always, you know. But it's not as if you're not busy as it is because you're just up the walls turning business away. But oh, yeah, sure, I know, I know, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, but you found but the time. Know, yeah, I, yeah, I did, I did. Why did you I do it? We felt, look, I mean, to be fair, pull down my hat strings as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. And that was it, you know. And look, I'm grateful that I'm in a position, that I'm, that I'm in a position to be able to help, you know. And make life easier and more enjoyable for them. I think it's unreal. I've seen the videos, I've seen the photographs, I'm comparing them constantly to the before and after. I can't believe it's the same back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, Alan and the walk, awesome. They're fantastic, they're great lads. You know? Did they give of their time? No, it was on my time, but I, yeah, mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Just, they just give it all with it, you know. It's a fabulous story. So, when are we having the barbecue now, Catherine? Oh, I'm telling you, any time my doors are open, it's like Patrick Street, anybody is welcome. And look, as I said, Paul, I can't thank Paul enough and and Sean um, Toomey and Alan and Martin and yourself, Neil, yourself on the show. Like, you, no, I listen, must say, Red it, FM was so the, kind. The day I rang, I never, never met such kind-hearted people and Seamus Whelan. I'm sorry for all the crying. <laughs> i I, I cried on that phone to that man so many times. Well, it's I tears of joy so now. Grateful. It's tears of joy yeah, now. I, I can't, as I said, from the bottom of my heart, to Red FM, Neil, All yourself, right. okay. Sean, the staff, and Paul, you're just a fantastic 
kind-hearted man. You've changed our lives. We can sit out. The doors are opened. I'm looking out at it. I'm not, honest to God. It, I can't. I just can't say how thrilled I am. And the response on the show from people... Like, there is kindness. Kindness always. Without a doubt. It always there, will. It, time after time after time, Cork yeah, people yeah. always come you know, up from. I, I, I went forward with this kindness myself. And I think anyone, and I've, I've always believed this, Neil, if anyone shows kindness to pay it forward and it'll keep rolling and you got the world it. will be a better place. I will do something for somebody along on. the line. I will pay it forward because. Well said. Well said. They've changed our life, honest to God, Paul. May you have many a happy day and night, and may the sun always shine on the back of it. Absolutely, Neil, and we'll be out there all the time. Cheers. As I said, thanks a million to everybody. Delighted, it's done, and let you enjoy it now. Thank you, Catherine. Look after yourself. God bless. Take care. Just finally, again, Paul, take a bow on that one because she is so so grateful. What advice would you give to people? Who are planning on getting work done? What, what's the what's the what's the I rule of thumb? Neil, I suppose realistically, recommendations are key. Yeah. So looking at photographs on Facebook and thinking that that's the work that these characters would have done, or somebody calling to your door and all that kind of thing, be cautious. Exactly. Be cautious. And recommendations. You know, recommendations are key. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Neil, can I just wait up while I'm on? Can I put a shout out for my two daughters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you, no idea that after opening new premises, you have Tiger Beauty Academy in Mallow Town, and you have Solo Hair Design in Glanmire. Well done to them. Two hairdressers striking out on their own. They have a lot, a lot of business coming through their doors. And you too. Listen, so delighted that this just got finished and you came on board. And we would highly recommend southerngreenhomes.ie. But you're up the walls as it is at the moment, I'm told you. Yeah, it is crazy. It is crazy. Dude. All right. Well, if people, if people can wait in line, you're highly recommended. Paul, you're a great, yeah. you're a great man. I appreciate it so much. Cheers, Neil. Well done. Fantastic, fantastic. Go and have a look at what they do, actually, yourselves. Southerngreenhomes.ie I mean, that job, I wouldn't even like to put a cost on it. I can tell you it's an awful lot more than five or six grand. It's probably closer to, I suppose, to get it over the line, start to finish. It's probably 10 to 15 grand all day long, if not more. So happy for this woman and her husband to hear the change in her voice, Neil. And fair play to Southern Green Homes. I'm so proud when I hear stories like that to be from Cork. Well said. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851 Red FM. Oh my God, I tell my three-year-old too that the guards will stop us and take him to jail if he keeps taking the straps off in the car as well. Well, there you go. It seems to be working. Morning, I used to use the threat of the guards when my son was small until one day my own dad killed me for saying it. He said, whatever, he said, what if he ever got lost or anything? And you have him afraid of the guards. He had a point, I suppose. So I stopped doing it from then on. Um, morning, Neil. What about the booty man? Oh, yeah. That's right. The booty man. We had the booty man, too. Oh, my God. What was the booty man? It was like a dark, dark shadow that would arrive in your bedroom at the, at the, the dead of night. The booty man. Others used to call him the boogie man. Uh, boogie doesn't really work um, because that's like somebody having a bit of a dance or a skip around the bed or a skip around the house. 
Booty Man is the correct one. But if you use Boogie Man, don't let me to take from it. Uh, when my brother and I were children, my dad had a magic telephone to ring RTE for a cartoon if we were good or if we ate our dinner. Lo and behold, the magic telephone, telephone always worked. There on the screen would be the magic roundabout or Woody Woodpecker. Little did we know that dad knew because he checked the TV guide on the Echo and he'd know when the cartoons were on. <laughs> the innocence of it. Uh, oh, right. We're, uh, are, we having a, are we having a Stuart's inquiry? Hang on, hang on. I have no problem. About it there, both Brenda and myself thought it was the boogeyman and I just checked the bogeyman. Maybe it's bogey or boogie. Um, yeah, is a mythical creature used by adults to frighten children into good behaviour. Ah, that's in America. Wiki, yeah, maybe. That's in America. In Cork, it was the booty man. Yeah, maybe it was a generational thing. We, it was definitely the bogeyman, the boogeyman for us. Definitely boogie. <laughs> then there was the banshee. Well, there would be the Banshee up in... Up <laughs> in go uh, away where, that. Where is that place again? Bally Desmond. Bally Desmond. We're surrounded by <laughs> Banshees. The man, the Banshees. False stuff it's down okay. there. Would you ever put up a, a Twitter poll there okay. for either Booty or Boogie and get people to vote on it and tell me if I'm losing my mind? We the Booty Man in my house. Put it up on Twitter and we'll take it from there. Um, how am I doing time-wise? Okay, just one or two more. So at this, with regards to wasps and the stinging out in the regional park, at this time of the year, the queen dies and no new larva is made. The new queen then goes into hibernation. Uh, wasps feed the larvae and the larvae produces a substance that feeds the wasps in turn. There's no larvae, so now there's no wasps food. So at this time of the year, you're dealing with very hungry wasps out there. And on that basis, they might be a bit short-tempered because you know the way you'd be cranky yourself if you've got a bit of an edge on you from the appetite. Um, I have wasps in my porch. How do I get rid of them? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You could take a hose to them, but you want to wrap yourself up and truly before that. Um, anyway, I have wasps in the porch. How do I get rid of them? No doubt somebody will tell me how. Maybe take away, get, get in touch with somebody who does that professionally. If you don't want to be messing around with the... Uh, a wasp pipe. I've done that one, but I'm out of time anyway. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.